Hello, and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Connor. Hello, welcome, everybody. And, of course, we have our special guest star, Autumn Blake. Uh, that's me. I'm and Batman. 
Wrong podcasts. Wrong podcast. Um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, you you are Hikaru and I'm Nova. Um, right. Yeah. That's the established canon. Affili- affiliations are, are rapidly changing around here. <laughs> <laughs> Last I heard. <laughs> this so this so this is the thing that you texted me after we recorded last time, which is that you didn't bring it up, but that you think you're Hikaru. <laughs> I'm Hikaru. Um. Anyway, today we are covering episodes forty through forty nine of Magic Knight Ray Earth, aka the final ten episodes of the anime. Um, and w- it'll just be a question bucket next. I, we. So this is the thing that happened in between the last time we recorded is I read all of the manga and you read some of the manga, Autumn. Um, I had intended to read all of the manga. Yeah, you were uh, just happen, constantly but... busy. Um... <laughs> Both. Okay. So in my defense, I'm constantly busy. I've worked um, overtime literally every single week um, for the last month. Um, but uh, not in my defense... I have made time to read every other comic ever printed. <laughs> Just not rare. Okay. Yeah. We so yeah, the thing is, twelve issues of Daredevil. I read uh, fifteen <laughs> issues of Batman. I read um, some manga. I don't remember what manga I read, but I know I read some manga that was not rare. Um, you read a manga that you don't even you, remember before you read, reading the rare manga. You read at I'm least a volume of uh, Akira. Yes, I read at least one volume of Akira. Um, yeah. Anyway, which one was your favorite? Comics. You were going. Which to... one was your favorite? <sighs> Akira. You. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to read all of the manga before we do the question bucket. We have plenty that is of time my intention. before. So, that uh, is you my know, intention. just just start just start reading right now. Yeah, you can yeah, just I'll just like. Just wing you, it. you two talk about like boring stuff. I'll just uh, <laughs> read the manga and I'll report so, back by the end of the episode. Yeah, when we get to the question bucket, we will talk about the manga. So I'm I'm saying this at the top here so that if like anybody they immediately know if they want to have read it before we talk about it on a podcast, like they have time to prepare. Because um, I know sometimes people listen to this the show like across multiple days because it's a very long show. I get it. Um, <laughs> The other thing is, I'm probably going to try and watch the OVA, even though I really don't like the style of the OVA. I've watched, like, one episode of it in the past, and I was just like, I don't like this. Um, But at this point, I'm just, I'm in. Um, I love this anime a lot, and I have been talking about it a bunch on a podcast, and it's made me love it more. And then um, I read the manga, and I was like, I I enjoyed that. Um, And so I'm going to watch the OVA and talk about that, too. So, um I probably won't talk a ton about it, but I'm, I'll talk about it on the question bucket. Um, anyway, I I will probably get into some of the manga stuff as we go. Um, one thing I just want to say at the top is I was kind of surprised, honestly, that I, I thought that season two was like far different than the manga from what I had heard. Um, and in fact, like the first volume of season two, so season one is three volumes, which is Ray Earth, the manga. Um, and then season two, um, there's like Ray Earth two, which is also three volumes. Volume one 
is very, very close to, like, the first ten episodes of the show. Or, like, roughly the first third. Um, with the exception that, like, Nova doesn't show up at all because Nova is not a character. Like, Debonair doesn't show up at all. But a lot of the stuff is, like, one-to-one plot points. Um, it's There's a lot more that happens in the anime. This just, like, is true in season one as well. Um, but it, it's it's fairly close. And then I think season... Or volume two and volume three both came out after the anime had been completed. Um, and so that's where it really starts diverging more. But basically, Debonair and Nova are like the only two characters who are um, like fully brand new to the, the anime. And then Inova in season one. Um, the like people of Farin, of Chizeda, and. Uh, of Autozom, they are all like in the manga as well. So I don't want to get too much into like ways that it diverges um, right now, but we can talk about that when we get to the question bucket. I think there's stuff that's interesting, and I think it is like specifically in the way that we talked about with Ava, the manga ending, and like responding to there being an anime ending, even though the manga started before the anime. Um, I think something similar happens with Ray Earth, where like the ending of the manga, even though Ray Earth 1 came out before the anime, the end is then responding to the anime. Um, yeah. So I did not realize... Um, I did not realize that the manga finished after the anime. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Ray Earth 2... So all of Ray Earth 1 was before the anime. Right. Um, but and then the other thing is so there are um i got the omnibus versions and the omnibus versions like basically um recreate the volumes but like just have them all together so like three in one book um but they include like the the back matter um and so there's the clamp gazette uh issue one of two so there's like two of them um and some things that i i found out so like in it they talk about like hey, the anime has some characters that don't show up in the manga, but we actually did design them as well. Um, and then they talk about how one of the members of Clamp, um, Okawa, actually wrote the scripts for the last se- uh, seven episodes of part one and then all of season two. Um, so, like, the last se- seven episodes of season one and all of season two were, like, specifically written by Clamp um, in a mm-hmm. way that, like... You know, I shared this with you as well, Autumn, and we were like, this, like, kind of reframes to some degree how I think about, um, like, what is actual, like, how much is this also Clamp doing a work? Um, I kind of had this impression that, like, season two was so much more the director, and obviously, like, I've also watched the interviews with the director, and he's talking about how, like, season two, talking with Clamp, they, like really let him bring ideas and he felt more like he was involved in the writing process. So mm-hmm. he's still influencing it in a way that like is separate from the manga. I think like Nova is just like to some degree transposed from a Yuri anime that he did previously. <laughs> um, and I like knowing that the director previously did Yuri OVAs, like did lesbian OVA stuff um, before doing Ray Earth, I think also explains why I I think overall 
the anime feels gayer. But there are still moments in the manga that feel really gay, especially around <laughs> um, Eagle Atlantis. Like, yeah, possibly even more than the anime. There are just parts where it's like they are fucking. <laughs> they fucked a lot. Um, they probably like see each other and fucked again, um, even though they are like broken up at this point. Like the tension is there, <laughs> which it's also there in the show. But um, yeah, it, it is extremely there. Um, um yeah for me um i part of my interest in reading the manga was that i was like oh well i kind of perceived it as like the show is this other thing and the manga is sort of like the story that clamp had intended to tell and um like the show um, even though I really liked it, was like a different thing and it was like less canonical. Not in the sense that like the oh shit. Not in the sense of like what is canon in the Star Wars universe, but like what is canon in the Bible, let's say. <laughs> um uh, not that much different, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um and so knowing that Clamp really worked uh more closely on um the anime that I realized kind of like put me at peace where I'm like, ah, now I want to read the manga because I was really enjoying it. Not because I feel like it is somehow necessary for understanding like the, the, the true narrative uh, of Ray earth, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, cause I was just really it. enjoying the manga. I just think that like uh clamp is like a really gr- gifted group of artists and I really like the work that they do. So Yeah. yeah. It's like when you find out that George Lucas wrote a lot of the Bible. <laughs> it's like the same feeling, kind of. The, the other George thing, Lucas I, and uh, Jesus Christ worked really close together um, to, to put out the special yeah. to, to put out the special edition of Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the other thing I wanted to bring up, we we can talk about this more when we get to the question bucket because I don't remember how far you you at least finished the first volume. Of, yes the manga but so i was reading the omnibus version that was put out in um in the u.s by dark horse um and then you were reading i think uh, on comiXology the like kadansha um, i believe it's kadansha yeah. has a uh, new like they did the first half of the series in 2019 and they did the second half of the series in 2020 they did all new translations all new lettering passes uh, obviously they're retranslating it um really nice new editions of um um of the book uh if you are like i would really recommend i would really recommend purchasing them on comiXology and people who know me know that i often um i'm like oh just steal that shit uh but you should buy it because um only the first half of um (laughs) of uh the rare earth manga is available on piracy websites so far from what i can tell i don't i don't believe um that uh the people who upload these sorts of things have done the second part of rare earth yet uh, which is why yeah. i ended up just buying all six volumes because i was like well it's inexpensive and then i don't have to like you know look around more you know yeah so. and the the kodansha copy like what you have are all digital right like it's just like digital only i think i believe Going by what 
going by information that I can sort of like gather from Kadansha's website, um, because it seems like they promoted the first half of this and then they didn't have done very, very little to promote the second half of this to where I, I don't know if maybe, um, because the first half was completed in 2019, I don't know if they were planning for more and then the pandemic, um, like, messed that up. I'm looking at Kadansha's website and there is seemingly no physical copies that you can purchase of Ray Earth right now. But I don't know, like, I also know that there is, like, a, like, industry-wide paper shortage and, like... Demand yeah. for, like, manga is just, like, through the roof with the pandemic and, like, supply is, like, you know, as low as it's, as low as it's ever been. So I don't know. This is digital only right now. I don't know if maybe in the future there will be a print run of this. So, yeah, um, I so the omnibuses that I have are print and they're they're pretty good. Um I've seen people I hated complain the lettering that, in them. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've seen people complain that the so it's like what you would normally expect for a manga binding, but I've seen some people complain that like because it's a three volume, like they just wish it was a little bit more substantial binding. Um, I had no trouble reading through them, and like like there are some creases on the spine, but I don't care. It's a it's a fucking book. Like you read books mm-hmm. and they they get creased a little bit and it's fine. Um, but if you're like really concerned about that, so the, uh, I consider there's a 25th anniversary manga box set um, that's hardcover and it's like a hundred dollars for Ray earth and then another hundred dollars for Ray earth do. And um, I love this manga a lot. That's way too fucking much to spend on Ray earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like don't spend that much money on a manga, honestly. Um, Unless you like, unless it's like, I can't live without it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) The Omnibus is is a good version, and I'm glad that I have it. Um, So. Oh, the box set is the uh, new uh, Kadansha um, hardcover. Okay. Oh, okay. This is in print. Kadansha did the. Wait, so this is the one that you you did buy? I bought digital versions of. Okay. uh, Are $100. I was about to laugh really hard if, like, Yes. You bought the one that we were just telling people not to buy. I just, it's <laughs> listed separately on Kadansha's website. To, so I thought that um, they just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I I would say um, buy, buy the digital version if you want to read it that way, unless you like extremely need a hardcover version of this manga. But I love Rayearth a lot. The Omnibus is fine for a physical copy. I did buy the last copy each from a website that I went to, but I'm sure you can still find it. Um. Now, three months from now, Nia, we're all going to wake up one morning to a ASMR unboxing video of (laughs) the the hard copy box set where you're from. If I and we're all just going to be like, okay, yeah, that checks out. $200 $200 to waste on like Ray Earth stuff. I would buy the like currently unavailable. And so you have to buy like ones that people saved and are reselling um, the figmas of the, the magic Knights because I want a figma of the Hikaru figma. You can give her cat ears. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like a hundred dollars for for her, so um, yeah. 
if anyone wants to get me an expensive birthday present or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, do we want to get into actually talking about? Oh, so I have I have one other thing that I was going to ask you, Autumn, before we like really get into the episodes. Um, Go for it. So you texted. So you are still watching through the episodes when you texted me this. Um, but let me let me pull up and make sure that um, before you even ask. I think I know the answer already. While you're pulling this up, can I read yeah. you some ad copy? I guess I have it pulled up. I'm okay. can, I, can I wait? Can I guess the answer really quick? Sure. Okay, it's Bulbasaur. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to read this ad copy? Um, the centerpiece of any clamp collection, or a great introduction to a classic girl power adventure, perfect for fans of Sailor Moon and She-Ra. Uh. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, you were still watching through these episodes when you texted me. Um, it feels so often like the Magic Knights are forces of reaction. Um, like they are not pursuing a quest in Season 2. They just do stuff when Clef calls for them, and otherwise they wait quietly in their chambers for direction. And it could, uh, and I could read it as, there's a bit too much wheel spinning, which I feel like... In particular, like, you were pretty quiet last episode, and I think a lot of it is because you're like, I don't know. It, I feel like it's just spinning wheels. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> um, or I could read it as the girls are being pushed around by forces larger than themselves and have very little say. And their conflict is that they are constantly called uh, to fight and struggling to find the reasons for doing so. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you about this, especially now that you've watched the end of the series and, and kind of what what your thoughts are on this um i was maybe i think i can i think i can like put together like a read of the series that i think i could make that reading of the series i think it's a bit of a stretch but i just like my broad take i feel like about season two is that like there are a lot of moments that were really interesting to me and really compelling. Um, but as a, like, as a whole, I felt like season two had a lot of, like, just shit I did not care about. <laughs> um, like, I just didn't care most of the time when, like, Farin and Shizeta were running around. And so this read to me in some way was like trying to like make that a little more interesting, I think. Um, because I think, I think there is something there. Like, I think that like, um, through most of season two, um, the girls like, um, are just hanging out in the castle and then, like, a siren will go off, or Clef will get their attention, or any number of things will happen, and now they have to go fight. And they go into these fights, and they're always asking, like, why do I have to be fighting you? Um, why can we not resolve this some other way? Um, what do you want? Like, I think the show is about, like, they do not want to be sort of purely reactive in the ways that they were that led to Princess Emerald's death. But I don't think that the show ever fully resolved that for me because I think the show's attention just drifted into other stuff. So that uh, we'll get into, I think. Yeah. And some of this, too, is like, like, 
I think there is more wheel spinning in this season than some, and it, like we talked about this a little bit last episode, but um, for it, it seems like the production for this was a little bit hellish for the director. <laughs> um, yeah, and that basically was like at all times unsure if they were going to pull the plug on the series, and so there's a a period where they've already kind of set up that like, it's either going to be Hikaru or Eagle. Like we talked about it last episode. Like one of them is going to be the pillar. Um, and then they still have to like keep the show going because they're like, well, we're gonna, we're gonna fund it a little bit more. Um, and so there's like, it feels like there's a point in the last 10 episodes or the last nine episodes that we talked about where he was like, okay, I have it where if they tell me I need to end this thing in like five episodes, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can, I can end this. I can like land the plane the way that I want to land it. I have the pieces in place. Um, and then it ended up being like, you know, five to 10 more episodes than he thought that he would need. And so then there's just some amount of just like, yeah, I guess, um, I guess Umi's going to go duel them again. Like, right. uh, we'll have another duel scene, I guess. Because I don't know moment, what else to do. <laughs> right. My favorite moment of, like, of this, what you're talking about, Autumn, is the scene with, um, like, Eagle and Hikaru, where Eagle's finally like, okay, yeah, like, I'm dying, and, like, let's have this conversation. And then, okay, yeah, like, here's my ultimatum. If I become the pillar, then I'll just stay here. But you have to let Autozam come here and like study the pillar system so we don't all like die or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like Yeah, like, okay. Like that wasn't hard at all. Like you just could have just had that conversation like at the very start. Like, why didn't you just lead with that? There's no reason why. Like, if you just led with that, they would have been like, Okay, yeah, whatever. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, you're not gonna invade us, like, okay. You can study the pillar system. Like, who gives a fuck? It's just so, like... Like, it's given the weight of something that, like, needed to be built up to. Like, oh, Eagle, like, I've done all yeah. of these things. And I'm on, like, my... You know, I'm, like, literally dying right now. And, like, I'm on my deathbed. And, okay, like, after everything, I'm finally able to, like, see this. And it's just like, no, dude. Like, this was so easy. Uh, <laughs> it's... I, I kind of laughed out. There were a couple of yeah. moments where I laughed out loud when I was watching. Um, and that was one of them. The the thing I'll say without getting too much in the manga, I feel like the manga explains a little bit more what is Eagle's actual motivations, which is implied in some of his actions in the anime, but they don't say it as plainly. Um, I also know from texting you I don't know you if you that... want me to just spoil this right now, but... <laughs> I know from texting you that um, Eagle lives through the manga, which seems like a better choice to me. (laughs) Um, Um, Basically, I I will just say this here, um, because I think it'll be somewhat relevant as we get into these episodes. Um, In the manga, it's more clearly revealed, which Eagle, I think, hints at here, but that um, he is also concerned that like what is going to happen, what happened to Emerald will happen to him because he loves Lantis. And really the reason why he is coming to Sephiro is like, he wants to come here and try to like 
in some way help Lantis. That like, and he doesn't know what that is going to look like. And in some ways thinks like, maybe if I become the pillar, it will be different. Like maybe I can do it differently. Um, but is like trying to come being like my ex-boyfriend who I still kind of have flings with, um, like really, really seems to be like fucked up over this. And I just like want to go there, <laughs> which again, I think is like implicit in the text of the anime, but it's just not said it as like directly. Um, well, that, that makes sense now that you put it that way. Cause I mean, in the anime, ultimately that is transformed into like, okay. Yeah. Like I'm going to become the pillar so that like Lantis can be with Hikaru and yeah. like, doesn't have to experience, like doesn't have to like repeat the tragedy of his brother and Emerald. And that's how I'm going to help Lantis because he loves Hikaru. So I'm going to sacrifice myself. Yeah. Um, anyway, but, do we... but still though, like just, just ask nicely. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm able to find this. So do we just want to get into the synopsis? Let's just get into the synopsis. We are at like 40 minutes in 30 minutes in. Oh, wait, wait, Maybe. I found it. Uh, so Eagle, <laughs> so Hikaru asks, uh, why do you want to become, uh, Sephiro's pillar for Autozam? No, that's not it. I want to become the pillar, uh, for myself. <clears throat> and then, uh, I'm going to skip this part because this is the big spoiler that I don't want to get into until you've read the, the manga. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, and then blah, blah, blah. Kind of here is explaining like, here's everything that's going to, um, happen and then basically said oh so the other thing that's funny is that um they explain what his anime disease is and it's that um basically he has been like using too much mental energy and um he just wants to sleep forever now and it's like (laughs) i also have depression it hasn't made me cough up blood before but uh i also have depression (laughs) um when he says, uh, basically, that he promised to himself, I'd decide how my life would end, and the wish I made was that Sephiro's history should end with me. So basically, he's like, I want to become the pillar, and then just, like, fuck up Sephiro so that Lantis can be, like, <laughs> free of this whole system. Um, like, I want to just, like, take on this burden myself and, like, destroy it. That's hardcore. Um, yeah. I know Lantis would give his life to end the world built upon the sacrifice of the pillar. So like, I'm going to end it instead, basically. So, um, like I'm going to, I'm going to be the one who sacrifices myself instead of Lantis. Cause he's my boyfriend and I want him to live. Um, anyway, let's Naturally. get into the synopsis. <laughs> let's get into the synopsis. Um, is it me first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, fuck. I was looking at Twitter. <laughs> Remember when we were recording last time and you said that you never check Twitter when when recording podcasts because you're a professional? We begin (laughs) with a dream sequence where Hikaru witnesses the conversation in the past between Lantis and Zagato that we previously saw, uh, wherein Lantis states a truly beautiful world would be one where flowers could bloom even without a pillar, and Zagato says that the pillar system fails to care for the girl who cares for everyone else. Hikaru uh, awakes and learns that, with Eagle captured in the castle, Geo has withdrawn to, uh, to the NSX, and Safiro and Autozam have entered a ceasefire. 
Uh, we get a few intercut threads. Lantis goes to visit Eagle, who is being held in a cell with uh, transparent magic walls. And after pulling a uh, hidden weapon, weapon. Lant- yeah. uh, <laughs> Lantis tells Eagle that the young girl's voice he heard was the final remnants of Princess Emerald protecting uh, her crown, the proof of the pillar. Lantis <laughs> uh, explains the story of his brother Zagato and the tragedy of Princess Emerald, saying that he will end uh, this tragedy and asks Eagle if um, he would still be Pillar, even if it meant um, making the ones who love him sad. Uh, cough, cough, that's Lantis. It would make <laughs> Lantis sad. Um, I just have mean- to say, the, the moment where Lantis pulls the knife from behind Eagle's, like, like from his neck basically where he has mm-hmm. it hidden is just one of the gayest moments in this entire series <laughs> i was gonna say it after um the end of this summary it, could, um, it couldn't wait it couldn't wait mm-hmm. i uh, uh i just well i'll i'll finish i'll finish <laughs> meanwhile the magic knights hang out with mira and the other kids of Sephiro, and they play um two of the image songs from the um original songbook to appease one of their main funders polygram records nova then decides to come and start shit uh and emerges from a black ball nova attacks hikaru and reveals she is aware of the pendant lantis gave hikaru before teleporting away to kill lantis uh before we get to the next synopsis i just want to say that this is maybe the best episode of the series to me uh i loved this episode um yeah it's a good episode um i really like 48 as well but um both of them involve people having long, heartfelt conversations with Eagle. So, <laughs> um, anyway, or no, yeah, I forget if Forty Eight has that. That's a good scene, though. Anyway, the one next with, episode. Are you think, I think it's it might be Forty Six that you're thinking of with Hikaru I probably yeah, Forty Six. I think is pro- yeah, Forty Six is what I'm thinking about. Forty Eight is also really good just because I love Nova stuff. But anyway, um. Monsters emerge from the black portal that Nova opened, and the Magic Knights begin to fend them off. Umi and Fu tells Hikaru to go after Nova, who at that moment has entered the cell where Lantis is visiting with Eagle. Um, Hikaru is running through the castle and is like not sure where Lantis is, and realizes that the pendant, uh, the pendant that she's wearing, has like a beam of light that's um, leading its way to him for her. So she follows the like beam of light from her pendant, um, and. While this is happening, Ferio, Ascot, and Caldina, um, and also Lafarga, arrive to aid Umi and Fu um, as they're fighting to protect the children. Um, back in the cell, the fight is raging between Lantis and Nova. Um, I I think before Hikaru shows up is when Nova stabs Lantis for the first time in these episodes. Um, Eagle does jump in to help Lantis after Lantis is injured, um, and then Hikaru joins as well, and and starts attacking um back at the garden with the children umi and fu realize that the monsters are growing stronger because the children are afraid and so they ask the children to believe in them um and basically like believe that they will win and they'll be able to protect them and when the children put their faith in the magic knights um and the other ones fighting to protect them uh the monsters weaken and then they can be defeated um meanwhile hikaru and nova continue their fight and Nova eventually kisses Lantis and then pushes uh, Hikaru over and climbs on top of her. Uh, another very gay moment. And, and asks why she loves Lantis if he won't love her back. Um, 
However, before things can get any gayer, Debonair orders Nova to retreat. Uh, the Magic Knights then reunite and talk about uh, what this revelation of how fear creates and strengthens monsters. Uh, and Hikaru finally tells them uh, the long-delayed revelation about her dreams of Debonair and Nova. Uh, Umi apolog- acts like she's like mad at Hikaru, but then she's like, I'm actually mad at myself. Uh, and apologizes to Hikaru for not noticing that... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, so she apologizes to Hikaru for not noticing that she was struggling and for not being someone who Hikaru felt she could share these troubles with. Um, maybe a little hard on herself. I don't know. But uh, meanwhile, Eagle is plotting his escape from the castle, uh, while Geo uh, is just kind of losing his mind uh, in the NSX. Um because his boyfriend's missing and uh, decides to go out in the GTO um, to try and rescue him. Uh, and before he can do that, uh, Lady Asuka, uh, now having decided she no longer wants to be the pillar, uh, she's jo- uh, she joins Team Ray Earth um, and summons the giant Sanyoung to uh, drive the NSX away from the castle. Uh, in the final moments, Eagle remembers Nova telling him that Hikaru loves him too, uh, and smiles before pulling out its his James Bond spy watch uh, and blowing away the door to his cell. Um, probably his best gadget uh, yeah. in the series, I would say. That shit's rad. Yeah. Um, as Eagle continues his escape, dropping little marbles as he goes, uh, Lantis goes to visit Alcione. She mistakes him for Zagato at first before realizing up close that it is Lantis. She tries to confide in Lantis about Debonair, but when she tries to speak of Debonair's location, she is overcome with pain, and Lantis concludes that Debonair has somehow sealed Alcione to prevent her from speaking. At that moment, Eagle blows open the door into Alcione's room and drops another marble revealed to be bombs before uh, running off with Lantis in tow. Hearing the explosions, the Magic Knights go to investigate as Hikaru approaches the uh, duel between Eagle and Lantis, Clef's ring and Lantis's sword begin to glow. The three find themselves before the room with the proof of the pillar, which has now uh, lost the shape of the crown and is ready for a new pillar. Um, Eagle and Hikaru both run into the room. They witness uh, sepia-toned flashbacks of Emerald's story starting from the day she became the pillar through her affair with Zagato and eventual deaths at the hands of the Magic Knights. Uh, we end on a shot of both Eagle and Hikaru lying prone, prone on the f- floor before the door <laughs> um, uh, to the room as Lantis is amazed they were both qualified and came out alive. Uh, uh, and we are left with the question, which of the two will become the new pillar? Um, this is a really good string of episodes, I feel like. This is, yeah. I think, where the show is at its strongest for me. Um, other than... Um, I just skipped everything. Like I was just fast forwarding through everything with um, Giant Song Yoon uh, driving away the NSX because I didn't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love Giant Song Yoon just like as a design. Um, yeah, I love this like bizarre uh, kaiju fight that happens in the middle of the set of episodes. Um, it is completely and like utterly pointless though um like <laughs> literally far and drives the nxx like slightly farther away 
<laughs> and like nothing changes. Like it does not, it doesn't actually help in any like meaningful way. Um, it yeah. is literally them being like, we kind of need to stall with like what's happening with the NSX. Like at a certain point, people will be like, why is Geo just not doing anything? Why are they just hanging out there? Um, but yeah, it, that in particular is like one of the most wheel spinning moments in this entire series. Mm. And I mostly just love it because I love <laughs> giant Song Yung shooting a giant energy beam out of his That's mouth fair. to counter the Laguna yeah. cannon. <laughs> That's fair. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Just like out of nowhere, like completely not established <laughs> that it can do that. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's like a fucking hyper beam. I but do love because there's all the buildup of the Laguna cannon, and then it's just giant Song Yung being like, ah! <laughs> Godzilla breath. <laughs> like immediately counters it with like the exact same attack. Yeah. I do love uh you mentioned Kaiju, um, that they found a way to do Tokusatsu by just like introducing a mech that's animated different from everything else in the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. I love Giant Song Yung so fucking much. Um I don't really care about like like none of the stuff is important to the plot. But I just fucking love Giant Song Yung as a thing that exists. I think the um, one thing is that they can show, like, they can kind of have it both ways as far as, like, showing Geo really upset and really caring about Eagle, which, like, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we know what that's about, but, like, they're just giving us more of that. Um, yeah. While also, like, not having to account for Geo, like, actually attacking. Because I feel like if he was like actually attacking, these uh, these episodes would look probably a little bit different. Yeah. Um. um so like, maybe my first thought, and this is partially like about the first two episodes of this batch, I I would say, um, is just that like one of one of the things as we get late into this show that I found myself wanting was like some more scenes between Hikaru and Lantis, like to sort of just build up like why they have this relationship. And I, I think by the end, like I think Nia, you and I were talking about like a reading of that, that I'm, I feel pretty happy with. And so we'll get to that at the end. But like, I think yeah. part of the reason that these episodes are so strong for me is that they they didn't give me more, Hikaru, they gave me a little bit more Hikaru and Lantis, but they mostly gave me more Lantis and Eagle and a little bit more, um, like, Hikaru and Eagle. And, like, those are relationships that I found really compelling. And I think this, this show is at its best when it is, um, like, doing the relationship stuff. And all my frustrations then come with, like, when it does other things, um, like get caught up in like political machinations that are fake and don't matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like, we can get into it more when we get to the, the further episodes about it, but just to like put it somewhat here. So you also have the context, Connor. Um, I was saying that like, for me, I think so much of the, like really the core tension of season two for me is like the problem of Nova like Nova is the primary antagonist and it is this antagonist of like um Hikaru has depression and hates herself and is not like really dealing with it constructively um and is is really going through this crisis of like trying to like deal with I love all these people 
but also like so much of my value is tied up in like wanting people to love me back and the problem of lantis is that like she doesn't know if lantis will love her back and so yes. what be- what becomes like frustrating with some of these episodes is just that like they can't really develop lantis and hikaru that much further because if they did like what the show wants to do and what the show cares about is Hikaru having to come to the conclusion, which I think is like to some degree genuine about this stuff as, as someone who struggles with this of like Hikaru needs to figure out how to love herself first and like actually deal with that problem in a meaningful way rather than it just being resolved by like, Oh, this person also loves me. Like everyone I encounter, I love deeply and they just love me back. Um, Yes. And and if if you gave them scenes between, between them, it would just like, sort of like stifle like that conflict that is internal to Hikaru, you know? Yeah. And it, it would resolve in a way where she could continue to not confront it, I think. Yes. Um and so they have to like continue to not develop what's going on between Hikaru and Lantis because they need to like continue to have it be to some degree believable that Hikaru thinks that Lantis like does not and never could love her back. Um, because what she really needs to deal with is like the fact that she does not love herself and keeps looking for that love in other people. And Lantis is like the situation where she has to confront with that, like confront Mm -hmm. that and deal with like, what does it mean if someone actually doesn't love me back? Um, and like, I feel like I am unlovable and people loving me is not fixing it. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, Like I have to actually deal with like my feelings of like, I am unlovable and that I like need this love to feel validated. Um, Just touching base. We're still talking about Hikaru, right? (laughs) (laughs) We've established that I'm both Hikaru and Neva. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Um, But yeah. yeah, So that, so that necessitates that Hikaru remains oblivious about Lantis's own feelings for her. I think. Um, in a yeah, way that I, then feeds more into my reading of this being like this crisis that Hikaru is having as like having these polyamorous relationships with people and like having a crush on someone and that that revealing things about herself that she is like having to confront and deal with um, and not dealing with very well for a while um, in a way that like makes all of it make more sense to me than it being like it just being about oh she loves this guy and it's like this like very straight um like, this is like monogamous and, and the other yeah. is platonic yeah yeah um because otherwise if that was the thing then it just like, becomes this like very frustrating of like why don't they just fucking talk to each other about their feelings um mm-hmm. but really it feels like the show is concerned with like what Hikaru and Nova represent, like what Nova is representing as a part of Hikaru and how she has to like develop and, and mm-hmm. come to some sort of like desire to love herself um, yeah, as someone with, who's with, like currently hating herself. <laughs> without question. Um, I think that, I think that is very much the focal point. Um, I think it ties into larger themes that are happening like across all of the characters um like this this failure to communicate um and this uh like these gaps between people it's not only like hikaru and lantis um it it seems to be occurring like across many other relationships um i think most topically here 
like Lantis and Eagle, um, but also, uh, you know, to some extent, like Eagle and Geo. Um, I'm, I'm really, I'm not going down this road, I promise, but like there's stuff around this with like, I think of the final scene with like the final exchange between like Umi and Clef. Mm. Again, I'm not like saying that's straight well, shit. Well, we know you're not but... going down this road because you're more invested in Ascot and Umi. <laughs> We've already established sure. you're the Asmi shipper of, of the podcast. Um, it, it, yeah, basically. <laughs> I wrote the, tum- check out my Tumblr, why Rare Season 2 sucks. Um, no, I'm going to link to that re- and we're excited. Thank- you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> I have a lot of reasons for for why it sucks. Um, yeah. But, uh... Um, and then, you know, like, uh, and Clef, um, this kind of retroactive, <laughs> You like, already crusade. revealed her name! I was waiting for the end to reveal this, Connor. <laughs> I think Autumn already said it. I didn't say it. No! Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I was talking about Mist, my favorite soft drink. Yeah. Um, you were just getting confused about Mira, the the little girl, right? You just said her name wrong. Uh, no, because in that context, that's bad. Um, <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. I didn't think that one through. I didn't think that one through. I, I was definitely not that. confused. Okay. Um, but you know the retro of like this kind of retroactive like Perse and Clef, which isn't really happening in season one, but is now like retconned in season two. Like that is never. Uh, they're never able to communicate like, quote-unquote Prisea uh, from season two, like, same problem. Um, Alcione and Zagato, like, their communication's all fucked up. Um, so, again, like, I think I've made my point. Um, this, like, this fear of, like, rejection, um, this dysfunction in, like, communicating with the people you love, um, yeah, which, which comes up like, with like the exchange with Umi and Fu and like Hikaru finally revealing what's going on and then being like, honey, why didn't you talk to us about this before? Like, yeah, you know, um, it, in a way where it's just like sometimes you're you're deep in the self-hate and you just like, I'm not going to bother the people I love with this. They might not love me if I tell them this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and Hikaru like and Nova become the the focal point for a lot of this um but like i I think again it's it's working out like larger themes um all of this stuff with like hikaru and nova and uh you know atlantis um it it's all tied into these larger themes that we're talking about um as well as like um you know the fact that like hikaru hates herself because she like killed people. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is a very like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a valid reason to hate yourself, but like, that's a traumatic like yeah. thing, obviously that's like very heavy to deal with. Um, and like that seriously, that warrants the gravity of yeah. like that, that it's commanding in her life. Um, and the reason that she was like, the reason that she did that is because she's been victimized by like, these larger oppressive systems. Um, so, you know, the machinations of these larger oppressive systems, like, is also another um, important theme that is, like, working its way out um, 
through some of the political bullshit that we dismissed, but also like through um, through this uh, situation as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just like getting back to like why I like these episodes so much is that like I just like that. I feel like a lot of this stuff that we're talking about gets expressed in the like scenes between Lantis and Eagle and the ways that like Lantis will walk into a room and not say a damn thing because he just is not a talkative guy. <laughs> um, yeah. And Eagle just like so clearly being in love with him. Um, and it just makes like for good compelling scenes that are just like about the things that I want the show to be about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The um. silences are immense. Yes. Yeah. And it's not like sometimes you'll see a silence in a show and you're like, oh, this is just to like sort of like insert like tension where there is none, maybe. But like, I don't think that's what's going on here because I think Lantis just actually is not a guy who talks much. Um, because when you do those scenes with Hikaru and Eagle, like, they're just chatting up store. They're just going, 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 going. Like, let's resolve the whole show right now in your bedroom, my dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, what extreme... if we just let the AutoZam engineers study the pillar system? Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. We're good. Um, extreme vibes of, like, Lantis is someone who really likes talking to people who can, like, maybe bring some stuff out of him, but is, like, normally just incredibly quiet. Um, <laughs> like, it's, like, the vibe... Like, when Eagle and Higuru get together, it's like, oh, you both are very similar. Um, I can see why Lantis likes both of you. <laughs> yes. Um, you have a type, and it is, like, extremely driven and, like, talkative person. <laughs> um, and it's so that you can be quiet, but then, like, maybe they will like pull you out of your your like brooding shell a little bit <laughs> um yeah lantis is very believable as just like a very non-talkative person as someone who is married to a very non-talkative person <laughs> um, now i i do feel like um the way that i i don't know if we're interested in getting it getting into it here but the way that these relationships are fleshed out uh, going back to a point that I, I think you were making, Autumn, um, about, like, for me watching through it, there were a couple times where I questioned early on, like, okay, why does Hikuru like Lantis? Um, like, what <laughs> like what about him is compelling? Uh, I don't know if this is getting, like, grounded. And then I had the same question about, like, her and Eagle, um, especially because the Eagle thing is, like, it happens very fast. Um, like a, a little bit later in season two um, and just like accelerates very quickly and I think there, it's a little bit disorienting uh, how quickly that accelerates but I maybe have a thought about it but uh, I, I'll leave it until we get to that episode I don't want to cut you yeah. off I'm just like I'm putting the thought together and so I want to like leave I, it until then maybe sure. you know yeah, the thought, I, I thought just that think... I have right now is like I know that Ghost Divers we love to front load episodes but we talked for a while about like other stuff before we got to synopses do we want to move on to the next four episodes and not front load everything and we can get to like having these talks about like Hikaru and U Eagle and like I buy Hikaru and Eagle as well um, in a mm. way that like actually makes more sense than Hikaru and Landis to me. Um, yeah, but also I that like myself... I have a reading of how this is all relating. All I, was I feel say myself is, like... pulled to 
talking about the show holistically. And so, yeah, that's right. But Connor, you say what you're going to say. Oh, all I was going to say is like, I think that there's a lot. Um, I think the show is doing. We could do a close reading of like the way the show is just like filmically grounding, like developing a lot of this uh, because I think it's like doing a lot formally um, that is like giving indications that we can draw on. Um, but uh, I'll just leave that there for our listeners. And then for like later, uh, you know, that might tie into what you want to talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other thing I want to just like say on the mic here too is um, like, I came to the conclusion after we recorded last episode um, that I don't think I want to have guests on who have not watched the show. Like I'm okay with, either Connor or I not having seen all of the show because like we are just so familiar with the dynamic of how we talk about shows. Um, but I feel to some degree that like you autumn, especially last episode got put into a weird place of being like Connor and I just want to talk about the end of the show and you don't know where <laughs> it is going. And so you're like, I don't know what to talk about because you clearly are trying to talk about like talk around the ending and I don't know fucking know what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, yeah, I came to the conclusion. Thank you for being like the guinea pig, Autumn. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. that um, future episodes, <laughs> whenever we have guests, um, I either just if they have if they're watching the show for the first time, I want them to either come on like extremely early, um, or ideally come on towards the very end, so that they've hopefully like seen everything as well by the time that they're talking to us, um, or that they've just seen it before. And they can come in and be like, yes, I've seen all of Utina. I'm going to talk about this, like, one arc with you. And then exit. But, like, I've seen all of Utina. I know it now, all. <laughs> what does so. this mean for our listeners, though? That's my that's my question. I guess our listeners just have to, like, watch the whole show before. Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it's just, like, because I was uh, talking to Nia briefly about, like, oh, maybe I could show up for the Black Rose arc because I like it. But then I was like... That's a terrible idea because the I have not seen all of Utena. Uh, I have uh, seen most of the Black Rose arc, and my thought uh, thoughts about it so far from where I'm at are just like, "Wow, this shit's messy." I hope the show ends well. I I'm told it does, so I feel pretty confident about that. Um, and I just don't. I don't think it would be a good podcast episode for me to show up and be like, "I don't know where this is going." You two do. <laughs> well, Connor doesn't. Connor has not oh, watched right. all of it. I have no idea. Which, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, which Turn I feel like blind. would also change the dynamic a little bit, but I still am just like, I want guests to have either watched all of the show or like, basically I want guests to have watched all the show when they come on. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is really the conclusion that I've come to just because Connor and I have a like rapport that I know even you autumn getting along really well with people and like us having a really good rapport is still just you have two people who have watched the show and like record podcasts all the time and then you're coming in being like I don't know how this fucking ends (laughs) um you are clearly trying to talk about something and I just don't fucking know and I don't know what to do here so um yeah we're just having a war and you're like what the fuck are you even fighting about this is really intense though like I am imagining um a person being on for like episodes twenty to twenty three of Ava uh who <laughs> yeah, hasn't that finished been the fuck- show. <laughs> 
that was the most like we cannot talk about end of eva yet and it is very clear to us that we have very different like feelings on end of eva um and like it also came up when we talked about the final six episodes or whatever uh, of eva but we were the yeah. brad who's like watched eva more than both of us combined so um, brad was, was just hanging in there yeah um we were like anyway. no fuck you <laughs> And Brad was uh, like, well, no, I mean, there's common ground here. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let's move on to episodes 44 through 47. Okay. Um, so episodes 44 uh, through 47, uh, Lantis speaks with Clef about what happened with Hikaru and Eagle as the two continue to sleep. Uh, meanwhile, the show remembers that Primera is a character, and she is apparently still looking for Lantis. Um and being jealous, but instead encounters Makona for the weirdest pseudo ship in uh, <laughs> in Rare Earth. Aside from like this ship possibly. is just even funnier, knowing what I know about Makona from the the manga. Uh, but anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I will be very interested to uh, to <laughs> to hear uh, what's behind that joke at some point. Um. The uh, bravada of Shizeda arrives, and Umi goes out to duel the two sisters, who agree to give up on their invasion if she wins. Um, it's it's pretty obvious that they like don't even want to invade at this point. Um, but yeah, it almost seems like they're trying to it. save face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're trying to save face. Um, as Umi uh, as Umi leaves, <laughs> um, Ascot tells her to let him come with to protect her and confesses, confesses his love for her. Um, she tries to let him down gently, uh, but basically he just gets like totally owned. Um, she says that she just loves him as a friend. Um, and I, Connor... Uh, <laughs> sorry. Hold on. <laughs> you, you keep reading. It's, it's, it's Jimmy Kimmel. Should I tell him you're not here? Hold on. Give me one second. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. Yeah. No. We're recording a podcast. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> me too. Okay. I'll do it. Okay, bye. Jimmy says he's still waiting for tonight's Garfred aloud. Um, I did it. I did it today. That fucking bastard. I'm going to text uh, him right now. Well, okay. while you're doing um, that, I'm just going to read this part of the synopsis. I forgot to turn my, my ringer off. I'm sorry. Anyway, the gin fused together into a, a, a platform, and Umi beats both Tarda and Tatra in Smash 1v1 No Items Final Destination. Um,. <laughs> Notably, in her duel with Tarda, Umi saves Tarda from falling off the platform to her presumed death, uh, and Tarda then aids Umi during Umi's duel with Tatra. Um, in the end, the princesses of Shizeda are swayed by Umi uh, and become friends, uh, and they're part of Team Rare Earth now. Um, also, Neve is forcing me at gunpoint to say that Umi and Tarda are dating now, and it's brat for brat. Um, anyway, in the final scenes... Uh, Debonair calls Nova to go with the demons Alba and Seville 
Uh, we've now moved into just like towns in Spain for our naming <laughs> conventions. Nope, these are cars um, too. Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to vary it up here. Um, but uh, yeah, these two like random ass demon names that are definitely not like referring to something. Um, to once again wreak havoc in the castle. Um, I know that you got distracted here, Connor, when Jimmy Kimmel called you on the phone. Um, so I'm just going to read this part that you, you accidentally skipped over. It's fine. It, it happens to all of us, but I'll just read it for you. Um, it says here, I, Connor Joseph Brown, am deeply upset and heartbroken at the scene that totally and cruelly invalidates my OTP as me. Um, you can look at my Connor's fan art of what it would look like if this show was actually good and they kissed by going to uh, www.deviantart.com <laughs> slash jubiamajo slash art slash fake hyphen anime hyphen screenshot hyphen ascot hyphen x hyphen umi hyphen x hyphen seven nine eight six one seven one seven three um so yeah totally understandable yeah. why you, you you missed that that like interruption i just i skipped it over was, because we already yeah. we already linked my tumblr and i go into yeah. much greater detail on my tumblr uh it also has I a could, uh, deviant art page i could I'm going to just open up Hover real quick. Uh, I'm just setting up exportodd.io slash asme. Uh, don't mind me. Uh, Lance and Clef discuss the injustice of the pillar system, and Clef reveals that he intended to tell the next pillar the full story of Princess Emerald and Lord Zagato. Sure you fucking did. <laughs> Even if it means the next pillar would choose to not take on the role. Um, as this is happening, both Higuru and Eagle awake and remember what happened with the proof of the pillar. Meanwhile, having given up on their invasions, uh, the characters from Juzeda and Farin arrive at the castle peacefully and are greeted by Fu, Ferio, and Umi, who um, arrives along with the bravada and the, the princesses from Juzeda. Um, and we get some cute scenes, including basically Fu and uh, Tatra teasing Tarda in the same way. So, um, yeah, just like... These are cute. They're, it's just gay. I like it. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, Higuru, having risen from, bread, uh, from bed, looks into the mirror and <laughs> contemplates what it would mean to be the Pillar of Sephiro when her reflection turns into Nova, um, who then emerges from the mirror and calls forth Alba and Seville. Um, she leaves Seville to deal with Hikaru and then teleports away with Alba to attack Lantis. Um, arriving at the room where Clef and Lantis are, uh, Nova is able to freely enter the magical barrier because since she is the shadow created by Hikaru's heart, uh, she is thus Hikaru and can freely pass through anything that, he that Hikaru could go through. Um, she then takes Lantis into the Shadow Realm, where she previously fought the Magic Knights, and uh, they fight, but Lantis is, like, pulling his punches because, as Nova reveals, um, if Lantis kills her, that means that he is killing part of Hikaru. Uh, she then penetrates Lantis and captures him. It's great. You're up um, <laughs> Episode 40... What is this, 6? Um... Umi and Fu fight against Alba, and although it continues to regenerate, they finally defeat it using new spells they learned just now. Uh, and I don't think they will use again in the series, if I recall correctly. Well, um, I, think I think they use it. Yeah, they both use it once when they are fighting Debonair, I think. Yeah, um, they uh, Fandaga and Blizzaga. They finally yeah. gotten it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hikaru. They didn't realize against... that they needed to draw magic until like really late in the game. 
(laughs) 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 Meanwhile, Hikaru fights against uh, Seville, uh, which also continues to regenerate. Clef telepathically informs Hikaru that Nova is the shadow of her heart and that she has kidnapped Lantis. Hikaru is filled with determination and finally defeats Seville. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Nova cries because Hikaru's heart is hurting. Hikaru then goes to Eagle and they have an incredibly gay conversation where Hikaru is like, hey, so I'm Polly and like, I kind of like you, but also I'm like kind of freaking out about liking Lantis and I know you both are technically exes, but it seems like you still have like a thing and like... I'm very sorry for hurting your boyfriend. I'm very sorry for unloading all this in you right now, but, like, you're the only person I could talk to. So, like, I don't know. Can you tell me, like, things are going to be okay? Or, like, does he just really hate me? And Eagle is like, okay, one, can I hug you? Or is this going to make, like, the whole crisis about your having being poly for feelings, like, worse? Uh, And I don't want your girlfriends to be mad at me for, like, overstepping. And you did just tell me you have a crush on me and just, like, honestly, same. Um, and, but I just really need a hug right now. Or I just think you really need a hug right now. It's okay. Uh, I know you fell into this poly thing because it's like fine and good. And like, look, I know Lantis and I know he's very quiet and he's very hard to read, but like, I could tell he really cares about you. It's going to be okay. Um, Eagle even goes on to say, people all have feelings they can't control, which is just advice Neve gives me on the regular. <laughs> um, Eagle then has a feeling he can't control by coughing up blood, uh, and reveals he is dying. <laughs> um, but if he has chosen his, uh, pillar, he will stay in Sephiro on the condition that Autozom be allowed to study the pillar system to save his own country. He then asks, he, he then asks Hikaru what she would do if she is pillar. Um, but we don't get her response. Also, while this conver- conversation between Hikaru and Eagle is happening, Clef and Persea go to Alcione uh, to once again ask her to reveal Debonair's location, but she, sh- she says she does not care what happens to a world without Sagato. I want you to know, I went like, not quite full fag voice on that, but like I definitely played it up more than I usually do on podcasts. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I clearly <laughs> had fun writing these synopses for you all. <laughs> it just became my bit with these series, like these episodes. I'm just, so. I'm glad you gave me because, like, that doesn't really like come through unless like it's just not the voice I use on podcasts a lot. It's a thing that comes out more in work, and so I'm like really glad that I like got that opportunity to flex that muscle a little bit on a podcast. Yeah, Connor. So, um, <laughs> uh, he could really helps Eagle walk. Uh, and they both go to see Clef. Eagle admits to his illness uh, and says he would rather die as a warrior than sick in bed. Um, cool. Uh, meanwhile, Sephiro continues to crumble, and Ascot saves Umi again. Uh, and uh, it it's just it's so it's so terrible that Umi does not reciprocate Ascot's creepy love. Um, it's just Tell really it's really, really bad. Um. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's really bad, and it's definitely not uh, a synopsis written by uh, Neve. Um, so Furio and the visitors from far and, and Shizeta go to help protect the, the citizens in Sephiro. Uh, as the castle continues to crumble around them, um, we get a scene of Makona protecting Primera, uh, then Mira protecting Makona and Primera, and then the adult heroes protecting the kids, uh, etc. Um 
there's maybe some sort of metaphor here who could say um i don't know this show doesn't have many metaphors um eagle leaves on the fto uh to go back to the nsx and his boyfriend geo once again reassuring hikaru that it will be okay and landis does love her uh hikaru talks to umi and fu about how she might be the pillar and they finally admit uh that while they were trying to be respectful and not question the society that they are guests in um although they kind of totally have done that in the past um now that their girlfriend might be the pillar they're very worried about the system because they would like to still be able to date and like not have that be another tragedy um Hikaru says that maybe if she were the pillar, she would be able to do something to change it. Um, interesting that no one's ever thought of that before. Um, Nova appears in the regalia, and the magic knights go out in their rune gods to confront her. Uh, Nova reveals that she has Lantis trapped within the regalia, uh, making it dangerous to try to kill her, and also letting her access his magic as well. Um, Nova also says she kind of reveals that her uh, her perspective on this situation is that she's trying to help Hikaru, uh, who in the moment of Emerald's death um, either believed or feared uh, that people can only truly be with everyone they love in death. Um, it, there's there's more in that that I, I'm guessing we'll talk about, um, but that this like moment of Hikaru Hikaru's like anxiety and fear is like seared into the fabric of Sephiro and gives rise to Nova. Um, meanwhile, Eagle sees the fight. Um, he's worried about Lantis uh, and immediately, and then presumably he could do as well and immediately sets out again in FTO to go save his ex lover who he still has feelings for. Uh, despite Geo literally trying to like hold the hatch open. So he can't launch uh, in, in the FDO. Uh, poor Geo, doomed to become a widower and single father. Yeah. So, thoughts? Uh, this yeah. show's good. This show's good. <laughs> um, where? Okay, so here, I guess, is like what I was thinking about with like, because Connor, you've been complaining, and I. I think there's some validity to this about, um, like, that Eagle and um, Hikaru have a conversation and then just immediately resolve all conflict between them. Um, and it feels just like... I, I totally see what you're saying when you say it feels, like, kind of rushed and um, uh, just kind of kills some of the drama, I think. The thing that I would say maybe in defense of the show is that um, I think so much of the pillar system and the legend of the magic knights and the um, rune gods themselves was built to sort of like obfuscate um, like motivations from from people. So like it is all constructed to make it so that... um, like the magic knights will fulfill their duties without asking questions and without being able to like talk to the people they're fighting and uh, ask them why they're doing this. Um, And so I like that everything gets immediately resolved because it's like, ah, when you have two people who are trying their best to like 
undermine the system of the pillar, um, they can like get around all these like machinations that are trying to like make it hard for them to do this. And as soon as they get around that, they can just have the honest conversation and resolve all their problems in five minutes. You know, <laughs> the yeah. problem is that everything is built to stop that conversation from happening. Yeah, you and know? this is something too that I I kind of thought about um, and didn't like really bring up because I I full I. Despite having watched this recently, I was like, I want to, like, really get there and make sure I'm thinking about this correctly. But there is the part where um, Hikaru is with Eagle, like, on the NSX. (coughs) And she is, like, I think very genuinely trying to be, like, I want to understand why is it that Mm -hmm. you, like, want to come here and be the pillar. And I think what's happening there is that Eagle is not ready to have that conversation with her. Eagle is like, no, I'm, like, invading and trying to become the pillar. And, like, you seem nice, but, like, you're still my enemy. Like, I still have these walls up. um, And I think some of those walls up are also still around, like, at that point, Eagle still seems to be a lot more confused about, like, how are things even standing with me in Lantis? Yeah. And my plan is is to, like, do this thing and die. And, like, I'm not thinking about, like, resolving this. I'm thinking about, like, self-destruction essentially yeah and i think it is specifically like eagle being in the in the castle like having the conversation with lantis and then like having this girl come to him again and be like i know that we're like enemies but also you seem to care about lantis and i'm like like i just want to like very genuinely like vent and like talk to you a lot about just what's going on with my life and like you were really nice to me when I was on your ship. And like, I feel like if things were different, like maybe we could be really good friends or even more than that. And like, I'm just like, I'm trying to just like work through all the shit that's happening with me. And I think like, that's the moment where Eagle's just like, Oh, (laughs) like I, I've been approaching this from a very different like perspective. Um, And so it is believable to me to some degree as well that like, I think Hikaru has been to some degree ready to have the conversation of like, what are your actual goals? Can we resolve this peacefully? And it is specifically Eagle having to get to that point and mm. be like, I actually see more clearly what's going on here. I, I am also like in this way that I think Hikaru has an effect on people, but also like the circumstances of, you know, him being able to see his ex more <laughs> and everything like Eagles is getting into this place where he is also being like, Oh, maybe I do actually just want to like try and talk through what's going on and like what my feelings are <laughs> and, and yeah. not just completely do this, even though the the show, I mean, we haven't gotten to the final two episodes, but it still ends with Lantis sacrificing himself or uh, Eagle sacrificing himself for Lantis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get, and like the way that that happens is still, it's still framed differently. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of like the, I mean, we've revealed this a little bit, but Eagle doesn't die in the manga. Um, and I, I kind of prefer that. So, um, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. I have a totally unrelated thing to bring up, so if, if anyone has anything else to say about that, uh, please do. <laughs> no, go for it. Yeah. Uh, can I... I don't want to say, like, deep read, but, like, can we talk about the the Ascot movie scene, actually, though? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Is is this perhaps where you're like hallucinated? I forget if we mentioned this last episode. You like fully yeah. hallucinated Connor that there was a scene where Asuka and Umi kiss. Um, yeah, which never happens. <laughs> yes, yeah, that never happens. Um, I think it. I was trying to like recall the exact moment that I that like gave me that impression, um, and I think it's. I don't know if it's. Uh, I think it might be this episode. Yeah. Yeah, um, I feel like it's either this episode or it's the one that I think happened. Is it where it's the one where, like, the where 48, the last time, like, one of his beasts, like, saves her? Yeah. I think that's where it is. Um, um that I, like, hallucinated that this <laughs> happens. Um, and then it was also just like the first time I watched Ray Earth, I had. I had a certain read of it or over time, like thinking about it after I watched it, um, I developed a certain read of it that was like tied into, it was colored by like some of the frustrations that I had with um, certain aspects of the series. And like, I, I mean, I've already talked at length about like some shades of, of, this reading um some of the stuff that i see in it um but i had just like formed a much more like in the way of still like loving the show i had a very like critical and like uh angry reading of like how i thought it resolved um and so like i just universalized that (laughs) across my memory and i was like oh yeah like all of these characters are paired up um, so I think that contributed to it as well. Um, I can see watching that. it again. Yeah. Watching it again this time. I've like, um, I've definitely, my reading has changed, uh, to some extent. Um, it, it's, I've softened it a lot as far as like, I don't think it is quite as, uh, the stuff that I remembered it doing, it doesn't do to the extent that, um, that I thought. <laughs> the vaguest sentence ever in history just now. <laughs> um yeah yeah it, it doesn't do it to that extent although i like i'm not completely like oh i no longer see this and i think this is like not present because I, I i just i do i can't help but see it um but it's much softer now um yeah and like there's a lot more openings there including this like um this scene in particular which was like one that i was really like embarrassingly ranting about uh, to like Neve a few times and like making oblique reference to. And then I was finally like, yeah, and this happens. And you were like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess I'm not, I'm not as mad as I thought. Yeah. Um, this, this is why... Dear listener, I've been putting in the synopses for Connor. I've been intentionally having Connor do episodes that have scenes between Asuka and, and, and Umi, and then writing in parts in the synopses about how, like, 
Connor has the ship and like is very invested in the ship because um, <laughs> you are so convinced that like Ascot and Umi end up in this way that I'm just like it is like literally not in the show. The conversation yeah. is Ascot being like I love you and then Umi says thank you for writing this down here but like I love you too. I love you like I love Lafarga and Caldina and like you know lists off a bunch yeah. of people. Yeah, um, and then it's just like. You know, I want to protect the people that I love in Sephiro. And it's just like this, like, yeah, I love and you. Then, like, I love all of the other people in Sephiro who I consider friends. I love you like a friend. And just yeah. delivers it and, in the most, like, I love you too, as a friend. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, give me There's dialogue later with, like, Ascot coming to terms with this as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, like, the- it's like fully confirmed and, like, established. Um, the thing that you were just talking about, Nia, like that exact quote is what I wanted to talk about, though, because so I know for you, one of the like central things of Ghost Divers as a project and um, uh, your feelings about uh, Ray Earth is that like um, there is a lot of old anime where queerness is present and um, real and not talked about, you know, or talked yeah. about in oblique ways and obscured and like, um, like this scene to me hammers home something that has been part of the show since the start, um, which is that like, um, the characters in the show, particularly Hikaru, Umi, and Fu, um, I just gotta stop dropping that pen. Um, use the word love to mean like twenty different, different things, things throughout yeah. the show, you know. Um, and I think it's a sort of like intentional like choice that helps to that helps to sort of obscure the the queerness of it. Like uh, Lantis and Eagle can love each other because that can mean a lot of different things. And if, you know, if you don't want to read that as like homosexual love, then you can read that as like, you know, other things. Um, You're wrong, but you get that sort of like plausible deniability space to where now like the creators of the show can talk about it without talking about it. Um, And so I love the, the way that this scene, um, like, just plays around with that just keeps like you know um is still using the exact same like word for love here that like um hikaru is going to use for lantis that hikaru is going to use for umi and fu that uh nova is going to use for hikaru like all that is the same word and all of these are very different feelings or perhaps very similar feelings. And I just, I like that the show does that in order to be able to talk about things without talking about things. Uh, yeah. 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 And this, this is a thing that like, I, I think it is important to map out to some degree, the way that the show is like providing heterosexual outs for like if you are if you are straight and you want to like insist that everyone in the show is straight like this show gives you those options but i want to like continue and it's like again one of the like projects of ghost divers to frame that as like to some degree a necessity of the form 
Um, a necessity of the form that when we get to the next series that we're going to watch, Utena, like, Utena is, like, really trying to challenge, um, and is, like, really trying to make those things more explicit in a way that was, like, you know, it's called Revolutionary Girl Utena, and that was, like, part of what that show was doing, and it was a thing that, like, caused lots of problems. The, the show faced some censorship, and the manga got very heavily censored, um, because of how much they were trying to make the like queer themes more explicit. And I think Magic Knight is dealing with this, but it is being more comfortable in doing it within the way that um like anime when I was growing up and was expressing queerness in like a repressive midwestern society. A lot of those of us who like would later fully come out as trans or like various other flavors of queer <laughs> really liked anime. And I think it's because we could see in something like this show or other things that were happening, what we were ha- having to deal with as well, which was how do we talk about our queer desires in ways that do not like immediately create targets on us, that that we can obfuscate it in such a way that there is that plausible deniability that like, oh, I'm not like actually talking about being gay, but I want to make sure that like we are not coming down on a reading of these anime that is so throughout season two uh season one i've been i used wikipedia to help with some of the the synopses um i rewrite a lot of it but i like use it just to make sure that i'm i'm touching on everything um and for season two wikipedia doesn't have it um and so i found neorayearth.net um and was able to find synopses on there so I was pulling from them, but those are far more from, like, it was a little bit after the series had come out. I think it was, like, when the DVDs were coming out. Um, but it, it is more, like, of the time of when Ray Earth was, was a big thing. Um, and so, like, one, I shared this with both of you beforehand. I wrote out the very long synopsis of, like, here's the conversation between um, Hikaru and Eagle. And, like, I am obviously... Um, editorializing to some degree in the way that I wrote it, but, like, a lot of that stuff is is implicit in a lot of the conversation they're, they're having is, like, them talking about love that they have for different people um, in this way that is, like, gesturing towards like, this queerness in the series. Um, the synopsis that I pulled this from, from neorayearth.net says, Hikaru wanders to Eagle's room and tells him she abducted Lantis. Eagle was hopelessly lost. And then goes so on. much happens in that scene. <laughs> so much happens. Yeah. Um, there's also a section of this website called Fan Rants, where the person answers oh, no. quest- you went common on the questions people section. have. <laughs> and I just want to read these two, because I think these are representative of a way that a lot of people try to read queer content in the anime in, in the past, and in a way that... I think we can gesture towards how anime makes these readings possible. Like, Ray Earth, this reading is possible. It's, like, fully possible to do this reading. I think it is stupid and wrong, and I don't want to, like, give it strong validity because I know the way that queer people have to talk about queer desire in repressive societies where they talk about it without saying it explicitly. But so, here are the two rants. So, one, are Lantis and Eagle ellipses gay? A lot of people think this is true because of the way they two act around each other, i.e. like fucking gay (laughs) ex-lovers. They seem to care for each other a bit too much. To make matters worse, Eagle always goes off into long trends of thought whenever Lantis is mentioned. In some dub versions, 
the Spanish one, for example, Eagle was a woman. Uh, so they like literally just made her a woman or made like Eagle a woman, um, like the character, not just played by a woman. Um, then the answer is obvious. They are not gay. That is not obvious to me, dude. <laughs> as far as the relationship goes. Here's all they this are... evidence that they're gay. And the answer is obvious. They're not. Yeah. As far as the relationship goes, they are very good friends. Period. <laughs> Written out. Period. It's what Clamp does to guys. If you've seen Cardcaptor Sakura, it's the thing, same thing with Toya and Yukido. They're totally gay. Besides, if they're really gay, the Atlantis would fall in love with Hikaru. Besides, the members of Clamp are originally doujinshi artists, so it's pretty natural for them to dump this kind of stuff in, i.e. they were queer women writing about queer men. <laughs> anyway. So... <laughs> <laughs> One, uh, this is too much work to do, but um, I would love if we could just intercut in that uh, aside about card captor. Um, that the bit from episode uh, zero or episode one of this season where you're talking about, like, oh, yeah, part of their goal with card captor was to more explicitly uh, <laughs> represent the queerness that they were uh, gesturing toward in um, this show, yeah, um. <laughs> Then the other one here, Hikaru and Nova kissed, three exclamation points. Are they ellipses? No, they're not lesbians. This was shown in the third opening, which was largely agreed to be the best opening of the lot. It is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> this was just something that Cl- Clamp did for the opening. Doesn't have much meaning to it. The lyrics at the bit <laughs> uh, at the bit meant one while embracing the light and dark, which makes sense with the video since Hikaru could be a metaphor for light, where while Nova is dark. Besides, if Hikaru was a lesbian, she wouldn't have fallen in love with Lantis, right? Um, very clear. Did not know people could be pol- polyamorous or bisexual voice. Yes, <laughs> but <sighs> so I wanted to read those to some degree of just being like, yes, there's a straight reading of Ray Earth. That's awesome. I, this is I, what, I always like, love. <laughs> I always love when people just like point to something in like a work of art, and they're just like, "Yeah, no, that has that doesn't have any meaning." Yeah, yeah, n- um, <laughs> yeah. This, um, they're good friends. They're just really good friends. Um, you know, it's just symbolizing light and dark, and so then they they kiss. You know, that's how you symbolize light and dark is is um, having two women kiss each other. Yeah, no other way of doing that. Yeah. Um, it's just Clamp. Clamp just puts gay stuff in it. It doesn't mean that it's gay. Clamp just likes to put gay stuff in it. Don't <laughs> read into how Clamp likes to put gay stuff into literally everything they do. <laughs> so I don't I don't know anything about Clamp. Like, b- besides, like, having now, you know, seen a show that they made. Um, you did send a bit of, um, like the, uh, a bit of the bonus material from the manga where it's touched on that they all live together and have cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Clamp Gazette, um, both issue one of two and two of two talk about the cat that they own and the house that they live in together to make manga. (laughs) I, and it makes sense to me that if... (laughs) (laughs) On some level, I'm like, yeah, sure, I also live with the person that I create content with. Um, We are also married, (laughs) you know? I don't know. I don't know about this. Doesn't seem like that shit to me. (laughs) I don't want to, like, speculate too much on other people's lives, but... 
it yeah. obviously has no meaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the other thing I, w- I just want to bring up here as well. Um, I, I know I shared this. I forget if I shared this in the group chat or with you directly. Um, Autumn, I know I also posted it on my locked Twitter. Um, at the end of the manga, there's a part where Lantis is talking to Hikaru and says, um, mm-hmm. let me see. What words do you say on your world to confess your love? Um, and then Hikaru says, will you marry me, perhaps? Um, Lantis says, what does marry mean? Hikaru, it's a promise you make to always be with the one you love. Uh, Lantis, is there someone you'd like to marry? Hikaru, Lantis, and Eagle. <laughs> Lantis, <laughs> just like ellipses, silence. Um, Lantis says, can you marry two people on your world? And Hikaru shakes her head no. But I love both you and Eagle. And I love Umi, Fu, Clafrasea, Ferio, <laughs> Ascot, Caldina, and Ro- uh, Lafarga. I love all of you. I want to be with all of you forever. <laughs> um, yeah, this I love that just she's really turned gay. all of these people into Hikari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, I just want to marry all of you and live with all of you forever. <laughs> um... So yeah, that's literally a scene that happens in the manga as well. If, if in case you are like, is Neve stretching doing this poly reading of Hikaru? Um, she literally says in the manga that she wants to marry multiple people. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think to... it's obvious from <laughs> like the discussions that we've had, and then like in comparison to what you just read out, like the fan rants. Um, I think it's obvious what is a stretch and what is not. <laughs> yes. Um, the one th- other thing I'm wondering, now that we're like fully on this topic, is do I bring in Cruising Utopia now, or do we want to do we want to cover the final two episodes first? Um, I feel I'm like it think- would be nice to get the synopses in there, but I'm thinking about is there anything specific in these episodes that I still wanted to talk about? I, I can't think of anything specific to these. You know, I've I have learned uh, in my experiences in life that when Neve and I just want to talk about an ending, uh, it is it's pretty like pointless to <laughs> to delay it. Like we're yeah. just gonna be like, we'll we'll talk about stuff, and then we'll just like the whole time we'll be thinking about the ending. Uh, <laughs> so let's just like get to the ending, and then we'll just go through whatever we have left okay so episodes 48 and 49 the final two episodes of magic knight ray earth um nova teleports the magic knights and eagle to the shadow realm again where a battle ensues um eagle continues piloting the fto and trying to protect the others and basically it's really really beaten up in the process um like at a certain point, Nova rips off the arm of the FTO and like shoots a beam into the, the head. Um, and Nova reiterates again that she's killing everyone that Hikaru loves so that Hikaru will be happy. Um, and can be with them forever in death. Uh, but Hikaru says, no, you're wrong. I want to live, laugh and love with my entire polycule. Um, Nova isn't ready to hear it and continues to attack. Um, then Eagle, 
tells Higuru to cry out for Lantis uh, to awaken him, and she does. Uh, Lantis begins to awaken and tells Eagle to attack the Regalia, and Eagle's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to kill you. Um, And Lantis is like, no, do it, because if you weaken the Regalia, I'll be able to use it to escape. Um, Eagle, despite being like, you know, the FTO is in really bad shape and Eagle's also very sick at this point, um, does a final surprising charge against Nova and strikes. Um, and at that moment, Lantis calls down lightning and, uh, Eagle is able to successfully pull Lantis out. Um, Debonair appears and just completely fucking destroys Eagle, uh, rip to Eagle. Freezes Yeah. Um, and then uh, Eagle's final words here are, Lantis, please make Hikaru happy. Um, the Magic Knights then form into uh, combined Ray Earth, and um, they start fighting Nova and Debonair, but uh, Debonair is basically like, Nova, you failed me. Um, you know, none of this is going how it should have. Uh, Nobody fails Meryl Streep. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she destroys Regalia herself. Um Debonair then sends an attack at Combined Ray Earth as she, like, pieces out, basically. Um, the Magic Knights block it using their combined magic attack, which um, I forget if this is the one that, that uses the spells that they learned or if that's in the next episode. But um, And then uh, Hikaru leaves Ray Earth. I think uh, Umi and Fu go back to the castle to, like, try and figure out more about Debonair. But uh, Hikaru leaves Ray Earth and goes to confront Nova saying um nova is a problem within my heart and tension is is she gonna like try and kill nova hikaru approaches the abandoned and fearful nova but instead of attacking she kneels down and pats nova on the head telling her she must have been lonely after hikaru left her um they talk and hikaru says that she will love nova too they kiss and embrace and nova becomes part of hikaru again Meanwhile, Persea continues to ask Alcione where they to, uh, to tell them where to find Debonair. Alcione realizes that she is not the real Persea. Having been found out, Persea's sister finally reveals that her name is Sierra and confides that she loves Master uh, Mage Clef and Fu in... Uh, oop. Umi and Fu enter the room uh, to also plea for Alcione to reveal Debonair's location so that no one will have to die or suffer... Alcione finally resolves to tell them, and although Debonair begins to surround uh, her in darkness, she finally manages to reveal that Debonair is on the underside of Sephiro before Debonair kills her. The three magic knights go in, uh, go in their rune gods to a sea of darkness and open a passageway with the uh, combine, combined light attack to enter the underside. There they confront Debonair, who fuses with the regalia. Uh, Anno is furiously scribbling notes at this point and writes, Kaiju named Angels? Um, a battle ensues with the NSX, Bravada, and Dome all arriving to provide supporting fire and protection, and Lantis' uh, pendant saves them from a powerful attack by reflecting it back. Back at the castle, Mira remembers that they all must believe in the Magic Knights and they will win. Basically, it's the ending of Earthbound and their belief in the power of hope uh, their belief in the power of hope and friendship and love triumphs. Um, in the room of water, the proof of the pillar shatters, 
and the magic knights in combined rareth use all the love and hope of Sephiro to form the proof of the pillar into a giant sword or something and stab Regalia Debonair in the face, killing her, and then it and the rune gods vanish into feathers. Hikaru and Lantis's wish for a world that could be beautiful even without the pillar is granted, with Hikaru saying, From now on, I want Sephiro to be created by all those who love this country. The girls drift down toward the castle. Hikaru reaches out to briefly touch hands with Lantis before the three girls return to Earth. One year later, Hikaru and her girlfriends go to Tokyo Tower and remember their adventures. Hikaru, who still has Lantis's pendant, wishes to see what has become of the world they love, and they see a vision of a of a beautiful new Sephiro appear before them. The end. Um, um, <clears throat> before so, we get into anything, I want to quick do cars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can't um, forget that. Yeah. So first I'm going to send you this, which if you just scroll down to the very bottom, you can see the cars that um, Seville, which is based on the <clears throat> Cadillac Seville, and then uh, Alba, which is just a, a Portuguese call, car called the Alba, are based off of um, these ones. I feel like you can actually kind of see the designs of the demon Seville and um, the demon Alba in like the cars that they use as references. Um, I don't know if either of you are able to see this right now, but um, uh, I am not looking oh, at it right this second. Yep, I got it. Um, let me see if this also works. Boop, boop. Nope, that's not going to work for me. But yeah, if you scroll down, you can check those out. Uh, the other one I'm going to send, uh, I'm just going to send the, the link to it here. So this one I have not put in um, the Ray Earth character names because I want to keep Sierra's name a secret for, for people watching it. Um, even though I think it's just like a dumb reveal, um, I think it's still funny <laughs> to just keep that a secret. So um, I'm going to link to this in the episode description so people can go look at this picture but um here is what sierra is named after <laughs> um this one in particular i think we'll have fun if we want to talk at all about this this wonderful ad <laughs> for the the gmc sierra sports side wow an official truck of the indy 500 yeah oh my lord gentlemen Holy start shit. your pickups it's not just a truck anymore whether you're headed for the Brickyard or the Backcountry, when the fuck was this written? <laughs> buckle up uh, buckle first up and head to your GMC, head to a GMC truck, dealer. truck dealer for a look at the new Sierra Sports side. It's bound to get your motor started. <laughs> Can we call this number? 1-800-825-8388? Is that what? Yeah. Hold on. You gotta, you gotta call the side's unique sculptured lines. It's... Uh, so hard it's a, to see. It's a truck. It's a truck. Enhance. <laughs> Enhance. 8388. Yeah. 1-800-VALUE. Well, injection is standard, of course. Of course. Who wouldn't know that? Does this thing have uh, seatbelts and airbags? <laughs> Five-speed manual <laughs> transmission <laughs> with overdrive. When, when is this God. from again? In 1988? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think this is the... Uh, so for a lot of them i had to like because i wanted to figure out what's the one that would have been around the time that they made ray earth and so this model first came out in 88 so this add us from 1988 um but what was still like the generational model being used when when ray earth was made so this was back in the day when people like went to the brickyard often enough for it to be <laughs> uh, you know the leading yeah. item and yeah 
That's cool. <laughs> wow. Um, um, I don't know if that really fits, to be honest. Um, I feel like that's more of a Prisea uh, automobile. <laughs> and yeah, it kind, of, it kind of is. It kind of is. Um, yeah. Sierra's got a different vibe. Um, but, um, yeah, I yeah. do... Seville and Alba are the two that just most clearly like, oh, the design actually reflects this. <laughs> These cars that they named it after. This is the first one where I think they picked the car first and then made a character based off of it. <laughs> They're like, um, oh yeah, these these car game these can be shitty minions. Yeah, especially the Alba. Yeah. The Alba just like Alba the monster just really looks like this car to me. What is that color? Is that like maroon? Oh, oh the the Seville. Not good. Oh, is it? Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. I was I was looking at the uh, I was tying the name to the picture above, but it's the picture below. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, the Alba is this, like sweet. cream color. Yeah, I like the Alba. Yeah, this, you know this what? This would make like a good a, Batman a catalog. It would. The Alba would make an incredible. I mean, you'd have to like make it black, but yeah, yeah it'd be it, an incredible Batmobile. Yeah, black um, with like some blue accents. That would be good. Yeah, and like a little bit more of like a bat fin on the back. Yeah, yeah. That would have to be the. Uh, that would be like the Michael Keaton Batmobile. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, no way, Christian Bale's getting in that thing. <laughs> God, yeah, I wish. He's, he's far too world. insecure. He is far too insecure. <laughs> better world. Uh, listen to Gotham City Limits on the Export Audio Network. I just, um, I just love him. <laughs> I just think about him all the time. <laughs> so, does anyone want to get into anything, or should I, should I bring in Jose Esteban Munez now? I, I think it's time. Um, I'm gonna sneeze. Did you? And then I just wanted to say that um, the the I was really curious how um how things were going to end. Like I I knew I knew that um the show was going to end with like them casting off the pillar system, and I knew that the show was going to end with um he could do like accepting Nova back into her heart. Um, I was really happy with all the stuff about like, um, like, Oh, she is made stronger by like the fears of, um, like I was really happy with like the exact, um, origins of Nova and Nova being born out of this moment of fear in he heart. Um, and it ends up tying into like Lantis stuff in a way that I feel like maybe Nia you're about to get into. And so I'll just say that I just really like, I really love Nova's last scene. I think it's really well done. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, going off of that right away to like the other thing that I think is significant and, and interesting to me here is there is so we kind of get this like clear nova is not just like nova is the shadow of hikaru's heart and was created out of this like belief and fear that hikaru had um when she killed emerald that like maybe this is the only way that you can ever like 
truly be loved and like love people and like be with people forever um is in death and mm. like i i killed emerald and it's what she wanted and like maybe she's right um and then what does that mean for me as someone who is like actually depressed and not confronting it like does that mean that like my true escape is also through this like suicidality that i i think is that came up a lot with like emerald we talked about with emerald and i think it Mm. also appears here um like one thing that i didn't bring up when we were talking about the last four episodes because i kind of wanted to just talk about it in the context of all this but is when lantis and clef are talking i think that lantis says is like you know they're saying lantis says i don't think the current system is right uh, Clef says, I agree, this beautiful land of Sephiro was created by Emerald, but who protects the happiness of that girl? And then Lantis says, Princess Emerald denied herself for others and chose destruction, which is like pointing towards the suicidality. And then this is like really the tragedy that doesn't want to be repeated. Um, and so I think this like sense of like there are these systems that are at work, and those systems are like putting these young women in particular. Um, because I think this is a show that is like throughout all of this concerned with gender and how um, like gender roles are constructed for young women. That it is the system that like generates this hopelessness um, and that it is like, you know, t- to like more clearly map it onto real life situations. I think in Japan at this time, there's like still this this sense and i you know it exists in like aspects of repressive american culture as well that what's more important than loving the person that you're married to is like having a marriage where like you are functional for like capitalism to continue to work for the like production of offspring um yeah for like maintaining the social order and that that is like the core of like it doesn't matter if you actually hate the person you're married as long as you're like still Mm -hmm. fulfilling like these social obligations you have um and it is like making it extreme with emerald where it's like you don't even get to be with the person at all like you don't get to like love anyone or be with anyone in this way because you just have to like hold up all of society um but i think it's it's kind of pointing at that like expectation that exists um in like a heteronormative structuring of relationships um i'll let you respond a little counter first (laughs) oh no i was just saying like yeah you you don't get to have any like sexuality or womanhood at all because you're like confined to like essentially like artificially confined to childhood yeah Yeah. well and also like the distinction of like the the concept of sexuality is like actually fairly recent within like the history of humanity um as distinct from like sex like sex has always existed like basic like it it is a how humanity has like reproduced and like existed as a species but that um there's a difference between like the the procreative act and then like the other things that sex can be and then like how that figures into this like broader social concept of sexuality of like the things that you desire being something that is like defining you or in some way related to who you are um like there I think a lot of people are aware that like the concept of homosexuality is actually a fairly recent like 
uh, social or like a cultural creation that before that there were sex acts that were like deemed as illegal or prohibited by the church or whatever. And a lot of those would align to what we would now understand as like more homosexual sex acts. Um, and yet mm. like sodomy was like, no one could do sodomy, including like what we would now read as straight couples, right? Like sodomy mm. being like, Oh, like anal sex or something like that was not procreative. And so it was like forbidden, um, which then obviously is like a thing that w- gay men would do, but it is, it is not around like, it is wrong to be gay. It is, it is wrong to do these acts. And so the, there's this construction of like homosexuality that develops that it is coming out of this like response to, um, and like movement away to some degree from this like, uh, prohibitive church reading, but that like moves through this like psychoanalytic, um, like psychological pathologizing of behaviors into things that are like defining people. Um, and that gives us the ability for us to like develop these identity things that then we can organize around in a way that like wasn't happening previously, but also like attention that I often have with um, a lot of mainstream, like queer activism is the way that like it still buys into to some degree, the like, pathological reading in the first place um in a way that like i think other queer stuff is trying to like find other ways to think about about queerness um but the other thing that i think a lot of people don't think about even if they know that history is that like heterosexual is a term that was created at the same time as homosexual because it is like both of them are being defined as like two like a binary um and that that definition of like heterosexual and straight is tied to the definition of like homosexual as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That heterosexual was actually first used as like a pathological desire to like have sex, not that is procreative, but like having the sex and it being fully like, I want to have it with someone of the, the opposite sex. Um, And it actually first arose as like a pathological term as well, but then like, because society is predominantly like straight society, like, you know, that becomes folded in as normal, um, far quicker than like homosexual has been. Um, anyway, this is like a, a me doing a quick history of like, where does like heterosexual and homosexual come from before I now go into, I'm finally going to read it, <laughs> some passages from. <laughs> Stages, Queers, Punks, and the Utopian Performative, which is Chapter 6 of Cruising Utopia, The Then and There of Queer Futurity, uh, by Jose Esteban Nunez. Um, I'm going to read, like, a decent amount. Like, not a ton, but I'm going to read a couple paragraphs from this just to, like, try and provide some grounding and also try to explain things. So if anyone, if either of you are confused about stuff, I can, like, try to provide more context, but I'll also do it where, where I think appropriate. Um... So, on some level, utopia is about a politics of emotion. It is central to what Ernst Bloch calls a principle of hope. It is my, uh, my belief that my tor- my uh, it is my belief that um, minoritarian subjects are cast as hopeless in a world without utopia. This is not to say that hope is the only modality for emotional recognition that structures belonging. Sometimes shame, disgust, hate, and other negative emotions bind people together. Certainly, punk rock's rejection of normative feelings stands as a, 
uh, the most significant example of the emotional work of negative affect. But in this instance, I dwell on hope because I wish to think about futurity. And hope, I argue, is the emotional modality that permits us to access futurity par excellence. Um, to try and like explain this a little bit more, just to, to like break it down. Um, so talking about that, like, it's kind of positioning like, okay, if we're talking about utopia and we're, we're trying to figure this out, like utopia is in some ways directly tied to emotion, which I think is, I'm bringing this up because I think we can also see this in like rare earth, like utopia and like emotionality are, are also something that's be ta being talked about here. And that, um, Minos is essentially saying like, especially for, uh, minoritarian subjects, like, like people from marginalized identities, would be kind of another way to, to think about this um, are being cast as hopeless. If like, we don't have this concept of, of utopia and that a thing that binds and that is like important for the construction of utopia is this idea of hope. Um, but it's not like the only emotion that can, can bind people, but it is this one that like he's focusing on because it points to futurity. It points towards like what comes next. Um, and so I'm going to continue on. Unless people have immediate questions. <laughs> um, queers, for example, especially those who do not choose to be biologically reproductive, a people without children, are within the dominant culture, people without a future. This is basically saying, like, heteronormative structures say that, like, the continuing of futurity is based on, like, having offspring who, who continue your lineage. And queer people, especially queer people who do not choose to, like, reproduce biologically, are, are breaking from this and thus are seen by the dominant culture to be, like, without future. I'm gonna let Lem out. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was, like, right at that moment that you said that, I was like, oh, that's the cat. Yeah. <laughs> um... So, uh, they are cast as people who are de uh, developmentally stalled, forsaken, who do not have the complete life promised by heterosexual temporality. Um, basically, like, they are kind of stuck. Uh, like, the sadness of being gay is that, like, you cannot have, like, children and continue on your line. And in, in some ways, this also makes you childlike. Um, this, like, this puts you in this state of, like, being stalled and not being able to, like, reach what adulthood is supposed to be. Um... This reminds one of the way in which worried parents deal with wild queer children, how they sometimes protect themselves from the fact of queerness by making it a, end quote, stage, a developmental hiccup, a moment of misalignment that will hopefully correct itself or be corrected by savage pseudoscience and coercive religion, sometimes masquerading as psychology. In this chapter, uh, I consider the idea of queerness as a stage in a way that rescues that term from delusional parents and others who attempt to manage and contain the potentiality that is queer youth. In this chapter, I enact a utopian performative change and the signification of the phrase, it is only a stage. So basically, like, I'm trying to reframe this idea of it is only a stage, um, and I'm trying to make it something that is talking about, like, the, the performing of utopia, um, Deployed in the name of the queer child. In this case, the queer wild child of punk subculture. I enact this change through a reading of visual artist Kevin McCarty's representations of illuminated stages at gay bars and independent rock clubs, and through a more general reading of punk rock's ethos as conjured and um, connotated by McCarty's images and my readings of them. This is stuff I'm not going to get into quite as much. Um, and then um, basically is arguing that 
these things like um the the stage in which like queer punk music is performed is a utopian scene it is a it is a place where like utopia the potentiality of utopia is being performed um and that basically when like people are doing performances not only is it the moment of listening to the performance but it is also this like belief that what is happening there will persist in some way that like the night of being at the punk show will persist in your life and like will be something that will like point towards another way of being essentially um i'm gonna like skip ahead a little bit here uh so i continue this writing then by readjusting my opening question how do we stage utopia which originally was posed as like how do we um create the conditions for utopia by suggesting that utopia is a stage not merely a temporal stage a moment in time um like a phase but also a spatial one like a physical stage where someone might perform um or in the case of ray earth like Sephira. <laughs> Um, Sir Thomas More initially positioned Utopia as a place, an island, and later that formulation was amended to become a temporal coordinate, like a a moment in time. Um, Utopia became a time that is not here yet, a certain futurity, a could be, a should be. Like, this is a a potential future and one that we should work towards, essentially. Um, Utopia, according to Bloch, is a time and a place that is not yet here. Bloch, along with the other Frankfurt School thinkers, such as Theodor Adorno and Herbert Marcuse, uh, contend that utopia is primarily a critique of the here and now. It is an insistence that there is, as they put it, something missing in the here and now, that like the current time and place that we are living in um, is in some way lacking and we are critiquing it using utopia. Um, this is then, I think, getting into some of, like, what am I reading f- with, with Ray Earth as well? Capitalism, for instance, would have us think that it is a natural order, an inevitability, the way things would be. The should be of utopia, its indeterminacy and its deployment of hope, stand against capitalism's ever-expanding and exhausting force field of how things are and will be. Utopian performativity suggests another modality of doing and being that is, in process, unfinished. It is to be deciphered by noting what Bloch has called the anticipatory illumination that radiates from certain works of art. Um, and then this like continues on. It's a, it's a very good um, essay that I, I highly recommend. Although again, like as much as I love me um, there's a certain amount of like gesturing at entire frameworks of theory. <laughs> um, then I, I'm trying to break down to some degree on here. So um, I think for right now, this is like, the what i want to read from here and then point a little bit towards like how this is making me think about ray earth which is that there is this tension of the queer reading that's occurring in ray earth and then also the way that you could see it that there is a possibility to read it as everyone ends up in the straight ship um this was just a phase they move on and like they they return to society they return to earth and they like go on to have normal quote unquote you know heavy scare quotes on that um normal like heteronormative lives um they are friends and they return to the tokyo tower and just think about this time but this is a series that is like very heavily positioning and dealing with queerness in such a way that 
even as the ending, which I think also still leaves open the possibility for queer readings, it still leaves open, like it ends with them going back and what persists is the three girls together and not the three girls with the like loves that they've made in this other world. Um, But even with like a straight reading of what happens at the very end, the series as a whole is positioning this idea of a utopian existence that is Sefiro and that that utopia, like that, that space, that, that land, but also that like moment in their life provides mm-hmm. different ways of being that are mm-hmm. different than what the tragedy is that befalls Emerald. Yes. Um, that they are coming into this um, and envisioning a different way that things could go. And it is a way that is, um, instead of having this world where we put everything on the shoulders of these women and like, and that being symbolized as like putting everything on them of like, here is the expectations of heteronormative society and the roles that you have to fulfill. Um, instead of that, like having a society that is more genuinely like built out of, out of, like the care of, of people who want to like just continue to to build some sort of better future um, that is like pointing towards performing this more utopian method. Um, Lem keeps doing the thing where he wants to be let in and then let out um, cats, I swear. Um, but like, you know, so it, it's a place where like they can reach this point where Higuru can say, actually, I love a lot of people. And what if the world works on like loving everyone Um, and it being this love that also like involves having to contend with your own problems and like having to work through, like having to resolve Nova is an important part of this. Um, Having it not just be the like level get you through, but it being like this very genuine, like how do people support each other? How do people like, help each other through hard times? How do you even as like enemies, Hikaru and Eagle support each other um, and, and come to some sort of other outcome. And so it's like imagining the space where this kind of love and mutual support is actually something that can become more meaningful um, than it is like in, especially at the time, but even today, like the more rigid heteronormative society. Um, and what this text is kind of saying is that like actually seeing those moments in time as like a performance of utopia, um, that like utopia is to some degree existing in the like queer nightclub, um, of like, you know, this is talking about punk shows, but, uh, I forget if the article, like if this, um, chapter points towards it but like you could also point towards a lot of what was happening in like vogue scenes and things like that as well like um you know there's there's lots of queer nightlife that i think is specifically about creating Mm -hmm. a utopian space for queer people Mm -hmm. and the fact that they have to then return to straight society does not mean that one that that creation of like a small moment and um, physical place of utopia is not still like a meaningful creation of utopia, but also does not mean that like through the continuing of, of staging these like utopian spaces and these utopian moments in time that like they are able to carry something out of that that is also meaningful and will like be able to change the world more broadly even if it is um 
not a, as like immediate as that moment of like being in the the queer nightclub and like just being able to be free. Like you still have to go back out into the real world, <laughs> uh, in a sense, or like the, right. the oppressive world. But those spaces are still spaces for organization, for like planning of activism, for things like that. That are like the fact that the 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 night ends and you have to leave the club and like possibly get called a faggot on the train going home does not mean that the like utopian space did not exist and that that like that you are like losing the meaning of that because it like doesn't fully persist in the ways that you would maybe want in that that moment in time it is still like pointing towards a queer future and so that's a lot of also how i'm reading ray earth in terms of there is this like yes you can read all of this as gay and and i think there's like enough subtext here and in some cases text (laughs) um Uh that that reading is super important and powerful um but also like when i'm going back and looking at these um like older anime and i'm trying to think about why is it so important to queer people it is sort of the same vibe that i'm getting where Muniz is talking about going to punk shows and I'm like, yes, I was also doing this. I was like going to a punk show where I could slam my body against other men. Um, and in the process, like have something that was like gesturing at some sort of queerness. Um, and that didn't like the fact that it wasn't uh, like utopia that persists forever does not make it like not still this important queer thing. Um, and so even when these anime and I like, Ray Earth leaves open up more possibilities than some of the other stuff that would be called quote unquote queer baiting. Even when they have those like straight potential final readings or like that closing off of like a, a queer reading, the important work of like creating that queer potentiality in the work in the first place, especially um, in these ways that are like in uh contradiction to the like the censors who don't want it to be there is still like important and um i don't think one i don't think ray earth really has it but like even if you connor are like yeah i still feel like the final episode just gets really really straight i don't think having a final episode having them all end up paired off in any way like lessens the full impact of still having like this show exists in the first place for queer people. Um, it doesn't lessen like the importance. Like when I watched this as a kid, this provided a space for queerness for me and a way for me to start thinking about that. And I never even watched the final episodes and it didn't matter how it ended. Like that's, that's not what is meaningful or important about these queer works. Um, it's not that like the representation is good and correct in the end. It is like, how does this create these actual spaces for people to like think through better queer utopian futures? <laughs> and I think that's like this show has been invested in the future and utopia from like the very beginning. Absolutely. Um, so that's my long rant. I don't know if people have responses. I'm <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> uh, um, I'll I'll I do, but I'll go after you, Adam. No, no, no. I was like, I don't know what to say next. And so I was like stumbling. So please go. So um, the first thing I'll say is like, I agree with you 100% um, in everything that you just said. (laughs) Um, And 
I hope uh, I hope none of my prior comments as we've been going through Rare Earth uh, have come off as insinuating that like the view that you were just describing um, before uh, the view of like oh no like this show like no I'm trying to assert that this show is really straight and like therefore it like deprives you know that there's no um content here there's nothing to hang on to um you know there's there's no like value um or or avenue for engagement um that is like not at all um my view um but anyway um i yeah i hope my uh all of the like laborious like talking about straightness in this show has not come off that way um i think for me like we're getting into where my reading has has changed a little bit um like it it is specifically around these contours um that are like emerging in the show um i think again like while agreeing 100% with the reading you've advanced um i think the thing for me that complicates it is that the land of Sephiro and like the real world uh, are both are and remain like throughout the series sites of contention um, for these dynamics in the way that like um, Sephiro, like there are these like utopian potentialities that are enacted. It is this like stage to use um, Munoz's, uh, framework um, it is very much the stage um, for like exploration um, for creating new possibilities um, it's like in the in the DNA of Sephira like oh it's this world of will um, and that all those possibilities are actualized in a way that is like meaningful and is not erased um, but right alongside that there is still these other, there is still this imposition um, of these oppressive systems um, that, again, are, are not completely, uh, are not completely overcome or clearly like resolved, um, even in the world of Sephira. I mean, much less in the real world. Um, so, yeah, it's some I mean- of the stuff. Like, to like, someone re- to respond to that, like, even when you were in the, the gay nightclub, like, straightness and the impositions of straightness still exist. Um, like, you you might be in that space and you might be envisioning utopia in that space, and yet, like, you are you are still in that space dealing with, like the the problems that straight society have put on you um legacies of trauma yeah like to to some degree like take something from um like role-playing spaces um to to use this term of like the magic circle that exists um there's this idea of like there's a magic circle that encircles the game the like play space and there's like the inside of the circle and the outside of the circle um 
But then there's this concept developed, especially in forms of like Nordic LARP that deal with really intense, heavy subjects. Um, this is this idea that developed of bleed, which is that like, actually the magical circle is permeable and like the emotions that you feel as a character are also like to some degree emotions that you feel as the person playing the character and also emotions that you, or like things that are happening outside of the game are things that you're bringing into the game. Um, and I'm kind of just bringing this up because I, I also think like people listening to this podcast might have more of this um, terminology, just knowing like people who listen to abnormal mapping probably have more of a, a basis immediately um, in some of these concepts. And so like when you go to the, the nightclub or whatever, um, or you go to the punk show, you are still bringing with it like all of the troubles that you have. And to some degree, like, I was going to punk shows to mosh and smash my body against other men <laughs> to like deal with the frustrations and pain that I, I was confronting, like to, to let some of that off. Um, and so like, th this is to some degree, like why I'm bringing in stages like this chapter as well is I want to like, I want to put this down as this thing of like, even when, like heteronormativity is knocking at your door even when like that that imposition is still something that you are like facing that um we can laugh at the neo ray earth.net like thing rants that i read <laughs> but i want to like provide more theoretical framing of like these straight readings are to some degree laughable because of course, like even when we are envisioning utopia, we are still going to have to like contend with the oppressive systems. Um, in fact, often utopia is meaningful when it is like looking at the oppressive systems um, and may not always fully have answers, but is still trying to push towards something else. Like you are envisioning a utopia, but often that utopia still involves like, the limits of your imagination and those limits might go beyond the imagination of those who believe that like capitalism is the only system that can exist or that the system of the pillar in Sephiro is the only system that can exist. Um, like part of what Hikaru is doing is being able to imagine in a way that the people of Sephiro cannot um, aside from like Lantis, maybe that there can be a Sephiro that does not have a pillar system in the way that there can be like nations that do not have capitalism. <laughs> right. Right. And, um, I, and, and a lot of people are not ready to believe that there can be a Sephira without a pillar. Like, I don't think Clef believes that you can have Sephira without a pillar. Um, yeah. And so his solution is, well, maybe if I just give people all the information and they choose it willingly, that is, that is better. If they know going in what it's going to be, it absolves me of guilt and they can make an informed choice and maybe this will fix it. And it, it's not actually, it's like a, a, you know, this is like an ex clef is like very neoliberal. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here I'm going to do nothing about fixing this oppressive system. That's killing you. I'm just going to like talk about it a little bit and then just like, be like, all right, yeah, yeah you can. Here's your choices. Yeah, like, racism exists. Um, it's really you're free bad. to choose things. Um, yeah. Um, um, and if we just if we just educate people, maybe people can choose to not be racist. Um, <laughs> and that'll that'll just fix the problem of racism. Um, so I just want to say, like, 
Um, cause I really want to just get out like what I mean to say. Um, so it's on the table. Um, what I see in Ray Earth and what is interesting to me is the fact that, and I can't emphasize this enough, like, I don't want any of the points that I'm taking or making to take away, uh, from like the readings that you're, that you're making because they're all like 100% there and valid. Um, and, and I think like not disputable really. Um, the thing that I'm interested in is you've talked about like I, all of these tensions we're talking about. And then I know you've, you've wanted to talk about like the historical context of rarest production, um, the censorship rules that they have to deal with. Um, like the, the, to use a wanky theoretical like term, the classic material realities of like yeah. the production of the show and how that, how we can look at that and trace out how those material realities are like reflected in the content of the show. For me, it is the, the way the show is constructed. Like, yes, it is important to understand that aspect of it. Um, but the thing that I'm particularly interested in is like the way that we receive the show, the contents of the show because of all of these things that we're talking about, the contents are what they are. And to me, like when I look at the show and when I read the contents and we have these discussions, um, all of this, all of these tensions are inscribed in the show um, in a way that I find like much less now than before. Um, but in certain ways, like, somewhat frustrating um but to a much larger extent like intriguing because of all the stuff that you're talking about um but like for me the fact that like all of this stuff about the imposition of straightness like the show enacting this yeah like that's literally inscribed in the show that is like reflecting all of the context that is like surrounding like the stuff that you're talking about and the stuff that Munoz is talking about and like the, the historical period of Japan at the time, um, like age of discretion, like all of that is inscribed in the show. And, but it is not like, like even so there are these openings um, that are equally like uh, emergent and like not effaced. Um, I, I look at it as reflecting like, uh, reality in its wholeness, basically. Um, this reality that we're talking about. I think Re Ray Earth is reflecting it in its wholeness, um, in these ways. Um, and that's the, like, that's really my main goal with, like, pointing out the straightness. My goal is not to be like, oh, there, it's a straight reading, like, everyone's straight. Like, obviously that's, like, absurd. Um, but only so that, like, I think when you have the full picture of like, okay, it's reflecting this wholeness of reality. Like we can then hone in on like what you're bringing out uh, by contradistinction. Like, oh, here are these openings uh, and here are these like utopian potentialities that are being enacted. Um, and hopefully that made any, <laughs> any sense at all. Um, but that's really like, 
my the main point that I've been trying to make this entire time. Um, yeah. I don't know if yeah. you have any um, thoughts immediately, Autumn. Otherwise, like I kind of have thoughts as well, but I do. Um, for me, like I guess, like so. One of the things for me was like. I guess I'll say frustrating about the show. I'm trying to like collect my thoughts totally is like the ways I felt a lot of friction with the show in the ways that I felt like, um, it was putting this like heterosexual romance onto Hikaru with Lantis that the show does not like develop very much. And I was like, Oh, there's all this other stuff going on. But as we get closer to the end, the focus becomes more and more, um on that relationship and the thing that i was thinking about today while watching the last couple episodes and particularly the nova stuff which is i think maybe and i i'll see when i finish reading the manga but like maybe is what is going to make this version of the story more like compelling to me than the manga is like um nova Nova's presence in the show for me makes all of that stuff not necessarily about her like having a you know Sailor Moon style miracle romance with Lantis. Um, that's not yeah. what that's about. Um, what it's about to me is that she is attracted to Lantis. She feels some type of love for Lantis, and you know as we've touched on like the word love can mean a lot of different things in this show because they're not, they're very purposefully not like articulating that in the most clear ways. Um, so, um, like she's feeling this attraction toward Lantis, but like Lantis also represents like this person who in her mind cannot love her back because of this like uh, horrible thing that she did. Um, and so, yeah, like, reframing it not as, like, oh, they're destined to be together, but rather, um, as about, she f has this feeling towards him, uh, and does not know if it can be reciprocated because of her own, like, hatred of herself. That is a far more interesting story that I think the show, like, it, I think the show is able to, like, pull all those pieces together in a way that I was much happier with it by the end. Whereas like on the journey there, I was like, Ooh, I don't know about all this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think like, um, that that's definitely like, I do still like the anime more than the manga. Um, even though the manga is tighter, there's a lot less like stuff that could be seen as like filler or spinning wheels. Um, the, there are some really great moments in the manga and the art is just gorgeous. Um, I love the art so much. And I feel like the, the anime does a good job of trying to like turn that art into animation with the kind of budget they, they seem to have and the kind of like time pressures that they seem to have. Um, in a way that, like, part of why I don't like the OVA is I feel like it just doesn't actually understand clamp art that well. <laughs> um, it doesn't, like, replicate it very well. Um, yeah. But, 
really like the lack of Nova in the manga is a thing where like so much of of Ray Earth to me is Hikaru and Nova. Um it is for me it is the core tension of season two. Um and it is the way that that like deals with to some degree like the end of season one and the one of the big problems being in this way that does not feel like they they do the like metaphor so simply with nova um like it's like the rules of nova are very basic it's just like okay she's the shadow of hikaru's heart who was created when hikaru killed emerald and like had this fear of like only in death can you be with the people you love um and she loves everyone who hikaru hates and hates everyone who hikaru loves um and those are like the rules of nova and being able to like really extend that um like sort of metaphorical character to talk about self-hatred and talk about like having to push past um this like suicidality that i think is also inherent in hikaru that like we saw play out with emerald um is what makes the show work for me and it's like what sticks with me it's why this is probably my favorite anime it's why i use hikaru and nova for profile pictures on lots of different websites um it's because like what is happening there feels very true to me about like experiences of being in a relationship and that relationship um to some degree like on one hand forcing you to confront like mental illness and self-hatred that you have at the same time that you are like because of this relationship beginning to access like support and other ways of of dealing with that but that like it it forces you out of a place of being able to kind of ignore it and like just not continue to not deal with it to where you have to deal with it where it becomes like more immediately painful um but that is also like able to move towards some sort of resolution and that this show handles all of that really well um i think and i think it sounds like you agree autumn (laughs) yes um the other the other part that i just want to bring up here that is like responding to you a little bit connor is i do agree that like to to some degree, the impositions of straightness on this series is actually important for me in finding this to be like an actual meaningful work about queerness. Um, this, this is kind of like, this is the thing that I've talked about with, especially um, like older queers that I've spoken to. Um, like, I feel like the further back in time you go, the, the more that like, people are just like, yeah, like what a lot of really young people today would look at and be like, Oh, this is queer baiting. It like, they don't end up together in the way that I want. It's not like the, the proper like capital T capital R the representation, um, often actually speaks more directly to me about Mm -hmm. what it meant to be growing up as queer, what it meant to like have to very, very intensely deal with the like impositions of straightness being put on me. And having to, like, try and, one, like, assert myself in the face of that, but also sometimes just survive it. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. just make it through, um, which sometimes involves, like, the protection of the closet 
to just simply survive and get to a place where you like don't need the safety of the closet as much anymore. Um, and some of it is like, I, I am happy that I, that there are like young queer people, I think who have grown up in a world that is like accepting enough that when they watch media, they just say like, Oh, I just want it to be like, all happy all the time and it's just like oh you know shira and her girlfriend or whatever like <laughs> um not to like fully pick on shira i've watched it and i enjoyed it and i think it is more complex than this but like i think there's a reading that just wants it to be like oh nothing bad ever ha-. like i want media where and this is something that like also sometimes frustrates me with like I've listened to actual plays where people are like, I want to create a world and I understand where the impulse comes from, but like, I want it to be a world where there just like is no homophobia. There is no transphobia. There's no queerphobia. Um, it's just a utopia. Uh, we don't deal in any way with oppressive systems and it's like just pure, like escapist fantasy. Um, it is just a space that I cannot operate in. And it is a space that does not speak to me. Um, I would much rather go into a space that is like having to contend with, oppressive systems and having to try to carve out space in those oppressive systems because that feels more meaningful to me as someone who like really really truly had to like survive and escape from um and to to this day still has to contend with but like i am in a much better place where i can be queer and all of these things um than i could when i was in high school and just like you know, my uh, my queer space was just like watching Ray Earth alone or playing Chrono Cross alone and being like, there is something happening here that is like causing me to have feelings and <laughs> I don't fully even understand it yet. And, you know, I'm going to go to the punk show and mosh against guys and then like go smoke cigarettes and one of them will say like punk's kind of gay if you think about it we just like smash (laughs) our bodies up against other men and i don't know if he's saying it like it's a good thing or a bad thing but i know i am currently smoking a cigarette that was between his lips and i'm thinking about how this is an indirect kiss (laughs) um and like i like i want works that contend with that and i think what often gets painted as queer baiting especially in some of these older works um like when people say that something like Ray Earth is queer baiting, I think it is very different than when people talk about how like to use the like worst example, like JK Rowling being like, Oh yeah, Dumbledore is gay. And then like never fucking does anything with it, even when she would have a chance to right? Um, Like that is like actual queer baiting that like, I think is like worth getting mad about. Um, I think Marvel does this kind of queer baiting today in certain ways um where it's like you could just say the thing at this point that you're trying to say and you're not like actually in any way meaningfully dealing with like any any problems that face queer people or any like you're not like meaningfully contending with anything that would have to do with queerness you're just like saying that this character is bisexual so that like people will tweet about it and say oh loki is great or whatever um (laughs) again i'm being like especially dismissive and mean here but (laughs) i i just like to make a point yeah but like to, to make this point that like 
what often gets painted as queer baiting and it's part of like the project of ghost divers for me in returning to these works is like let us look at these works and how they deal with queerness and how they deal with queerness that might be unsatisfactory in in certain senses but that in having to actually like fully contend with these impositions of straightness are able to actually speak to me more meaningfully in ways where like again i am more interested in resonance than representation um I am more interested in something speaking to me about like, this is what it means. This is the experience of being queer, even if they never say the words in the way that like Ray Earth never really says it. Um, it still speaks to me very deeply about being queer in a way that like no Marvel movie ever has. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I... And, and like what you were saying, like it is important to acknowledge that there is this straight reading because that is part of what like actually helps to generate this meaningful space for me um, where it has to actually contend with straightness. So yeah, I feel I think, like I'm, I feel like I'm done at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I'll add, it, it just like to piggyback on some of the general comments there at the end. Um, we have had, especially recently, um, as Ghost Divers has gone on, I think we've talked more just explicitly about like critical method and um, it, what our projects are uh, and what we're trying to do. Um, and I think for me, everything that you just said uh, is for me, one of the big things that uh, of Ghost Divers is I'm very insistent on doing these deep readings, and we both are, uh, of doing these deep readings of works and having these long conversations um, because I, I like to look at, I really want to understand as fully as like possible within our scope, what is this work? Like what, like I want to account for all of the contents Um to the best of our ability, so we can really look at like what is this work and what is it actually doing, um, and then once we've done that, we can like begin to flesh out and draw conclusions. And I feel like doing that with Ray Earth, uh, it allows another avenue of access into this work where it's like instead of just being like, oh, this is queer baiting because it doesn't like affirm these things or realize these things in the way that, that I would want them to. And like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, like wanting to see the, those things affirmed in media. Like that's very important. Um, but you can access rare earth in that way where it just ends there. And it's like, Oh yeah. Like it's, I'm rejecting this because it's not affirming or like doing the things that I want, but there's this whole other Avenue of access that, I hope we have, I think and hope we have uh, fleshed out or opened up here at least, where it's like the full scope of this work, the way that it's grappling in extremely meaningful ways with all of these dynamics reveals like an incredibly, incredibly rich like work of art um, that can not only contains these like utopian possibilities, but um, you know, can uh, allow for these like discussions of all of these things, like everything that we've talked about and then more, because there's more in this series. Um, 
And, uh, yeah. So, um, for me, this is just a good example of like why, why it's important to me, like that we do what we do. Um, and also like why I love this series as well. Um, so yeah. Any final thoughts, Autumn? Uh, no, I think y'all hit it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was really happy with the ending of this show, other than Eagle dying. That's a dumb choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, especially like, they didn't have to have Deb and Eric kill him. Yeah. Could have just been like, he's, he's really sick and in rough shape, but then like they recover him and, you know, he's healing and then Hikaru says lives. like, yeah. And then Hikaru is like, I want to marry both of you. Um, <laughs> best part of the manga. Those pages. <laughs> just fucking incredible. Uh, <laughs> now I have to read the manga before we do our, uh, our question bucket. I didn't realize that like everyone was doing it. You know, it like, was, I sh- I it was going to be, now. it was going to be that I was going to do it. And then I didn't, but Nia did. <laughs> so the the thing is that, like, both of us, I think, at the same time decided that we were going to read it and didn't, like, mention this. And then I think you told me first that you were reading it. And I was like, oh, um, I've been, like, <laughs> me thinking too. <laughs> about I've been thinking about buying it and, like, um, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, now I just have to cram it like I did with the ava manga um, um it is it is less than half or how many volumes was there of the ava manga Wait. it's it's six volumes in total yeah. uh they're on the shorter side i think the um i could get you a page count i could just get you that nice well, yeah, I, I mean i have both yeah. right here um let me like like both of these omnibuses are under a thousand pages, I think. Um, like well under. So yeah, um, and that's that's comic pages. Um, yeah, like and they're the f- like they're like clamp pages where like there will be a full page spread of just like Hikaru's eyes and like two lines of dialogue. Yeah, um, yeah. Both of these are like under seven hundred. Um, they're I would say they're both around six hundred and fifty pages. So, um, what are you doing, Lem? <laughs> Lem wants me to give him kitty treats. Um, so, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll see if I can access the Ray Earth manga. Maybe I'll buy the fancy ones and do my ASMR unboxing video. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought it was gonna be funny if both Autumn and I read all of the manga and then we just came in and didn't tell you at all, Connor, that this is a thing that we did. And then it was just like, all right, Connor, we're just gonna talk about the manga. You, you don't no say. Input. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a thing you would do at all for, for laughs. Um, yeah. when are we, um, when is, uh, the question bucket? So, yeah, next it episode. Is, it's we'll... after we close out this current show. That's what I yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah. So basically you're saying, let's wrap this up. Uh, next episode, we're going to do the question bucket. Normally I would say when we're going to record, but um, I'm going to be honest. I, like, I don't know what your schedule is going to be autumn and you definitely need to be there. So um, when this episode goes out, I'm going to put in the episode description, 
like here's when we're recording the question bucket so people can go and look at the episode description to know like what's the deadline for writing in um but i just don't know when we're gonna record uh normally yeah. i just yeah well i I'll just say when... like a rough a- estimate of are we planning on doing it in like two weeks or like four weeks or oh so i mean what for us from when we're recording it will be a while for those <laughs> well, that's listening, what i thought yeah for it those will be listening, three months in the past for those listening, we are going to be recording in like one week, approximately. That's what I thought, is that you recorded it after the episode. I, I thought that we were going to record the question bucket around the time that this episode um, that we're recording right now releases. I just wanted to double check. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be recording in a little after it releases. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, those question buckets are the ones where I have the the tightest turnaround on editing. So, um, but yeah, I think let me just look at. So, like tentatively, it would be around October 9th because this episode is coming out on October first. So we'll be recording around Saturday, October 9th. But um, my guess is it will. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, if your schedule yeah. is anything like it has been recently, it'll probably be on the Thursday. But yeah. Um, yeah but if you have questions for the question bucket write in to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com go to exportodd.io to support the network that just takes you to the Patreon Um, it's a great network every single podcast on this on this export uh, on the export audio network is um, it's all bangers Uh, all the way down what's the one Ghost stairwells. That sh- that show fucking sucks. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah, you can listen to ornate stairwells by going to exportaud.io/ornatestairwells. That's what the podcast in. that I do with Autumn. Um. In the most recent uh, times that I've heard you promo export audio on other podcasts, Autumn, you've cl- described it as a very dumb podcast, which I would agree with. But I think it's also a very smart <laughs> dumb podcast. Um. I oh think it's yeah. Both- it's the smartest podcast I do, probably. Um, I'm letting Lem out. <sighs> Lem's gotten, like, especially bad about this recently. Anyway, you can follow the show on Twitter at Ghost Divers Pod. You can follow me at FoxMomNia. Um, where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, y'all can follow me at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Uh, where can people follow you, Autumn? You can follow me on Twitter at, at autumnal underscore coffee. Anything else you want to promo? Uh, people should listen to that Batman podcast. It's pretty fucking good. Yeah. We just recorded an episode of it today. It'll have been out for weeks and weeks and weeks by the time that you listen to it, to this episode now. But uh, I just liked that episode. Yeah. I mean, they'll. I'm sure there'll be other great episodes that they can listen to right now. If you're but. listening to this episode of Ghost Divers, I would like to implore you to go listen to Gotham City Limits Episode 9. You may have already done so because uh, it came out <laughs> weeks ago, but just go do it again. Yeah, maybe you're like, I actually don't remember it that well. It's been a while. Let me listen yeah. to it again. But it was really good, though. Definitely worth it, listening to a second time. Yeah, it's very good. It's also a 45-minute um, episode, so if you're like, whew, Ghost Divers, it's a bit long... Do I have the podcast for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how completely opposite Em and I in ter- are in terms of like 
how we like to run podcasts and how long we like to go. Um, and it's just like, let's, let's get in, let's get out like half hour, 45 minutes. I want to be done. And I'm just like, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Keep going. Um, anyway, we're done, except I have a question for you. Who is it today? Hikaru. Um, uh, I'm I'm going Umi again, actually. I'm doubling down. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to guess Hikaru again as well um uh, let's see it's, it's rough it's gonna be rough when you find out to me and it's foo uh, damn it <laughs> foo. Fuck. The, one that no, the one that nobody would ever guess <laughs> who's that pokemon <laughs> Um. Bye, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks for stopping. Bye. (laughs) That was
yeah, I hit record. Do we want to do time that is right off the jump? Oh, no, I guess not. Um, we I can mean, do it. I just I feel like clapping pretty early in the podcast does make it easier to sync up. <laughs> yeah. I'm used to doing right. this, though. <laughs> I just don't even cl- I don't even have a clap. So I know I record with you. We don't clap. So clap, no clap. Sure, we'll clap. do a clap. Well, let's do a okay. clap now. All right, at thirty-seven. In a row. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. I didn't joke. get that at all. I didn't uh, get that at all. <laughs> in the movie Clerks, um, <laughs> he. In the movie Clerks, um, Dante and his girlfriend, I want to say Veronica, are having an argument because she's like, I've only had sex with three guys. Um, And he's like, well, I've had sex with like um, 12 girls. And then like later in the conversation, he finds out that um, she sucked 37 guys dicks. Um, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. They're like having an argument. Yeah, they're having yeah. an argument about it, and um, at some point he like just says to a random passerby, "Like my girlfriend sucked thirty-seven dicks," and the passerby is like, "In a row? <laughs> hey, try not to suck any dicks on your way to the parking lot." <laughs> and so, anytime I hear or think about the number thirty-seven, my brain is just like, "In a row?" <laughs> Got it. But I, I said. Did I say 37 or did I say 17? 37. 37. Oh, okay. Wow. We Yeah, we clapped I'm, on 37. I am out of it. I am way out of it. <laughs> In my mind, I was like 17. And I just, but reading the like number, I was like 37. Yeah. Uh, that probably doesn't bode well for the coherent podcast. Um, that's okay. I will talk about incoherence possibly, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's perfect. I'll, uh. I'll be able to demonstrate that quite well to help you out. Um, as a note, I'm drinking a cocktail that Emily just handed through the door to me. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if she knows what it is. She made me a cocktail last night when we were going to record. Um, and I asked her what it was and she said, I don't remember. And I said, what was in it? And she said, well, there was Pisco and pineapple juice and I think lemon juice. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait you literally just made this. Um, <laughs> What happened? I blacked out. I made the greatest <laughs> cocktail of my entire life, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um, this, <laughs> this one has a, a cinnamon stick in it. <laughs> uh, so, it's good. I don't know how much booze is in it. It's big. It's big. It's like a tiki <laughs> cocktail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking of this. It's Actually, this is not, it's not relevant at all, so I'm not going to say it. Well, now you have to say it. Say it. It's so stupid. Um, for some weird reason, that just made me think of like something that I found really funny uh, for a long time, which is like uh, <laughs> the the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge. He was like a he did a lot of opium, and he has this poem Kubla Khan, which you probably you probably know because you know, um, and. The story behind the poem is apparently that he, like, drank... It was, like, laudanum, so he's drinking the opium. 
and he drank like a lot of opium and passed out and had like an opium dream and uh like he according to him like he woke up from the dream and in his dream he wrote like like no shit like the greatest poem ever in human history and he was like yeah but unfortunately like i totally did write the greatest poem ever in human history but because i was like on a lot of opium like i can only remember like a third of it and like so that's (laughs) what this poem is so it's like not as good as the one i actually wrote but so just so you know like i did write the best poem ever but like (laughs) this is just like the part that i remember um that's that was emily making cocktails (laughs) yeah Except you have the whole the whole cocktail. It's not I like, do. Um, yeah, it's not like a shittier version. Yeah, the one last night too. So there are four cocktail recipes that she was considering making, and she asked me to pick a number between one and four, and I picked three. And so she made that cocktail and then gave it to me. Um, and then I was drinking it, and I was like, "What is this called? What's in it?" And she didn't remember, and she was like, "I don't know. It was the third one." <laughs> And I'm like, that, that doesn't help me. I don't know what your four cocktails were. <laughs> I just put on a blindfold and started like throwing shit in cups. Yeah. Um, I've definitely freeformed cocktails before. Emily does not do that. Um, I actually used so- to make cocktails based on um, Idle Thumbs and Important If True episodes. Oh, hell yeah. Um, So... I'm on the TV tropes page for Magic Knight Rare. Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna read you a trope here, and I just want we're gonna to... get banned from abnormal mapping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Come on, like M is just starting to warm up to me. <laughs> the trope here is deconstruction. Um, this is uh, Magic Knight Rare <laughs> is a deconstruction of Save the Princess. That's a trope. Uh, genre of heroic fantasy. Another trope. Um, as it turns out, the real reason Princess Emerald summoned the Magic Knights was not to rescue her, but to kill her. Um, w- <laughs> would you call? I don't know that Rare Earth is a deconstruction so much as just a plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it's like d- like tearing down the genre. I think it's just, you know. I think it's like yeah, I think it's like an inversion. It's like an yeah. inversion. Yeah. That is like I definitely think it is critical of like it is engaging with the conventions critically in a way that like yeah. I think is similar to what you like a quote-unquote deconstruction, but I don't know if I would go, like... Yeah, I don't know if it's properly classed there. And then if you um, go to the TV Tropes page for deconstruction, it's got an Ender's Game quote at the top, which is, um... (laughs) Sometimes I think you enjoy breaking these little geniuses, and then a guy responding, there's an art to it, and I'm very, very good at it, but enjoy. Well, maybe. um, When they put the pieces... Uh, when they put back the pieces afterward, it makes them better. Uh, and this is... TV Trope says this is an Ender's Game quote about deconstruction and reconstruction in genre. And I don't... 
I don't think it's about genre. I think it is literally about um, the plot of the novel Ender's Game. Um, this is a bad website. I'm closing it. Yeah. I, I was having a thought. So before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about how, like, I'm intentional about being having Ghost Divers be a podcast where even though we will often pull on, like, theoretical texts and, like, academic writings, I don't want it to be, like, a super heady academic podcast. Like I want us to like make those ideas accessible. And we try to be intentional, especially more as we've gone on about like not bringing in reading unless like really the reading is like, feels very, very closely tied to like, how is it that we're understanding this text and is like enriching the the understanding and like a way we're actually going and reading that text would like hopefully, People would like start drawing out things quickly as well. Um, but then again, so we're like, not often, just pulling random quotes from Ender's Game and being like, eh, yeah. this kind of fits. <laughs> and a thing that like I chafe against a lot with a lot of academic stuff is the way that, like, I understand how this comes about, but the way that like it assumes a certain um, vocabulary on the part of like the audience where people can very quickly gesture at like extremely complex frames of thinking and just assume that like the audience immediately understands it um in this way that like becomes very tied up then into like the class dynamics that also occur with like having access to higher education to like and like even just time to like read all of this theory and, and come to understand it yourself. Um, and I just like, I don't want to be that. And I feel like the biggest like TV tropes is all of the like jargon and gesturing at like, <laughs> Oh, if we just like say this, you will know what we mean, except it doesn't even have the like theoretical grounding. It's literally just like misinterpretations of what the like, actual theoretical concept of deconstruction is yeah <laughs> and then you well, just like, say it and you you think it's all of the pompous like i know what it's called and so that means that i can like talk quickly about this and be all like oh i i truly understand this text because i can point to oh, all yeah, the like, things like, this is yeah. that <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. like this yeah. show is that <laughs> Um, and like misses that, like when academic writing is doing that, it is actually pointing to like more meaningful stuff. <laughs> um, and I still chafe against it with academic stuff, but at least there's like an actual meaningful, um, like foundation for the, the like vocabulary that's being used. And it's not just like a bunch of people editing a wiki and being like, ah, I'm going to call this trope this. <laughs> um, yeah. God, yeah, the what academic a stuff website. is like, yeah, it it becomes so dense because, like, as time goes on, and again, this is a whole like other critical like perspective on academia that I don't think it's in like the interest of ghost divers to pursue right now. <laughs> um, but like, it just be so much of this work just becomes like more and more granular. Um, and more and more, like, <sighs> aggregative. So, like, oh, let me just pull together, like, this strain, this strain, and then look at this, like, very obscure part of this thing that has never been, like, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, a 10 billion books on this novel, but, like, none of them address, like, this small particular part. And then it just becomes, like, well, I still have to account for, like, all of these other 10 billion books insofar as they pertain to what I'm doing. 
So now I, I can't, I don't have the space to like fully account for it. So I'm just using this like incredibly, the shorthand, which is like, yeah, here's like one term that is like denoting, yeah, either like a whole fleshed out complex theoretical framework or like an entire like history of debate <laughs> around a certain concept. Uh, and then we're going to do like that over and over again and have this like ridiculously dense writing that like, yeah, like I, there's no, once you get to that point, there's almost no other way to like do it, but it's also just like, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, you have to ask some hard questions about the value of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, um, very much. Do you want to talk through anything else before before we start the podcast? Or uh, one thing, but like it's not um, major or important. Um, I just figured since I had two uh, uh, Evangelion experts here, I would consult you two. <laughs> um, so Uh-oh. the 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 um. Uh, the last rebuild movie came out today. I was going to say Evangelion ended. I will not be so optimistic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And people are tweeting about it. And I was just, um, uh, I do not want to get spoiled. And I can already see like, um, I could already see people just like tweeting spoilers about it, like openly on main, even though the movie came out like three hours ago. Um, and so I muted Evangelion, Eva, Shinji, Rebuild. Are there any terms you think you can think of that people might be tweeting about that I wouldn't want to see so I don't get like spoiled on whatever the fuck happens in this movie? Probably the other me. Uh, I, I haven't seen the rebuild, so I don't know like what characters figure prominently, but I would just do the other main characters' names. Yeah, like Asuka, Ray, <laughs> Gendo, yeah. Masato. Yeah. Uh can't mute but... Masato. Cannot mute Masato. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that may create some problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he won't see like half of my tweets. Um... <laughs> Honestly, maybe preferable. But you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like maybe also Koru. I would maybe also do Koru. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't know much about the rebuilds, but I know Koru is a pretty prominent, is a more prominent figure in the rebuilds than he is in the TV show. So, Um, also the new girl, um, Marie or whatever. I have Marie. I forget. Let me let me look. Can you do phrases or only? Can you can do phrases or only terms? I think you can do phrases. You should do the phrase anime is art. <laughs> should just I mean, mute that's watch out for that one. <laughs> yeah. Mari, Mari's, yeah. I would also mute Mari. Um, um yeah, I think Nora and I are gonna watch the rebuilds. Um but I I I plan to watch them soon now that they're like all available. Um, yes. We're not going to do them on Ghost Divers for a while, but I plan to watch them soon. So. That was my thing, is that I just didn't even want to bother watching them until they were done. And now that they're done, um, I will I will give them a chance. I just, uh, I have three more to watch first, and so um, Twitter is just going to be aggravating for the next week as people are just like, let me tweet about um, uh, 
the I almost said the end of Evangelion. I would be fine if people were tweeting spoilers for the end of Evangelion. Um, I've seen that movie. Yeah. Anyway, we should podcast. Uh, we should podcast. Any last chuckle fucks to get out or? Um, no, that was that was the last one. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go pee first, though. Okay, okay. I'm gonna fill I'll, up my water bottle. I'll be right back. Okay. Which means that I'll need to pee at some point. <laughs> I'm back. I think I beat everyone back. I'm back. Hi, back. So am I. I'm just. I'm Milf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just destroying my room over here. Don't mind me. Why are you destroying your room? Also, I just now saw um, this image of Higuru that you sent Autumn. This outfit is incredible. I should really watch the rebuild movie soon. Yeah, what happens? Are you seeing spoilers? No. I, I'm I, really. Really interested in what happens. If you want to, I'm me very good at not looking right at now. main Twitter, so I have not actually seen any anyone spoiling it yet. Yeah, um, I um, it's been fine on lock Twitter. Everybody, I haven't needed to mute anything on lock Twitter, but I went to main Twitter for two seconds and I saw somebody tweeting about the ending, and I scrolled past it. I didn't read any of it, but um, if you there's somewhere had, in your brain that 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 information is just lurking. If I manage to watch all the episodes <laughs> by the time you and Nora have watched all of the, the movies and you want someone on export, if you're going to talk about on export, you know where to find me. I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. As a foremost Ava scholar. <laughs> yeah, I think we've attained that status at this point. Yeah. yeah. Our, like... our end of Ava episode is like, I don't want to toot my horn too much, but like, that is a really good episode. Um I I I've listened to other people talk about End of Ava and I think like we did a really 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 good job of trying to map out like here are different reads and how they come into conflict and like where they come from um how people like we joke a lot Connor about how <laughs> <laughs> you are like opposed to everyone in the abnormal mapping discord, but <laughs> you, I think do a really good job of being like, let me spell out like the positive reading on this movie in a way that is like actually pulling from the text and arguing for like why it's meaningful and, and can be like red is this like uplifting, hopeful ending. And I can still be like, yeah, but I still see that final scene with Shinji and Asuka and I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I feel like so many of the people who um have positive reads of an of end of Ava are just like well it's cool when surrealism happens and I like these characters. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Well, um, I I thought it was pretty good too, and it uh, <laughs> means a lot to uh, to yeah. to hear you praise the thing we did together. I I have continued to like when I'm on other podcasts now and I talk about ghost divers. I say like if you're gonna listen to one episode, go listen to the end of Ava episode um, as like the one episode to to sell you on the podcast because it's just I like diving it, straight into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, but I also I also think that like lots of people have seen Evangelion and if you listen to the end of Ava episode, you get the most of us like fully distilling our read on like the series broadly, um like the show, the movie and the manga. Um and I think like also just does a very good job of like like it is us fully on our let's actually talk through this stuff and the way that we try to talk through anime. <laughs> so um and it's in a way where it's just like it is a single movie but we're also talking about the broader series so it's like easier to listen to just one episode whereas um we're tying together like 15 hours worth of like work (laughs) (laughs) that we've done like like conversationally like um, i think i think i think crystal who is now a fan of ghost divers um I think Welcome she like. I think she started by just listening to our end of Ava episode. Um, I think that's true, and like sold her on the podcast. So, um. <laughs> well, anyway, um, do do we want to do synopses? Yeah, yeah. Let's do uh, let's do some synopses. Um, um, yeah, you got it. Um, that is like not at all. Um, my view. Um, well, I tried to. That makes noise. <laughs> um, I yeah, I know it talks when I. I know it makes noise when I talk. I was um, talking to Lem the cat. <laughs> now I have to leave um, that in. I was just gonna cut the, my audio anyway. <laughs> um, 